All right, Jacob Goldenberg here with Let's Talk Sports, back with the first mock draft of the season. I got Ben Kingdon and Tyler McNichol on the call here with me. How's it going, fellas? It's going good. Happy to be here. Same here, man. Wouldn't rather be anywhere else right now. <laughs> oh, it's draft season. It's what? Let's check the date. April 21st. We're eight days away from draft day. And uh, I'm going to hit you with my mock draft to start off. We'll probably be back in a few days. I think Ty's got one for us. Sherm, too. So we'll have a couple coming on. But let's just get right out of the gates here. First overall pick, Jaguars. I think we all know where this is going to go. Trevor Lawrence is obviously a really great player. There's been a bit, a bit of noise made about... Uh, his comments regarding his drive to play football, I think that just smoke out of nothing. You know, really, and all he said was that he was not overly dependent on football to be happy. I'm fine with that. He's a stud. He's put the work ethic in the, the proofs in the pudding with his national championship appearances and his, what, like four or five losses since high school. So I think that's a lock. I'm sure you guys agree. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to put it in perspective, uh, or comparison, I guess, the number one pick in the NBA draft, Anthony Edwards, said he didn't even want to play basketball like two picks before the or two days before the draft, and he still went number one. And I think Lawrence is even more of a lock than him, so won't matter. Yeah, Trevor's basically been like he would have been the number one pick if he came out after his freshman year. Like essentially, that's what it is. Yeah. But like how fucking funny would it be if they just didn't take Lawrence? Especially I don't know if you guys see saw his tweet like last week. Or it was like, can't wait to be a part of the community in Jacksonville. And like, he donated a bunch of money to Jacksonville. I just think it'd be absolutely hilarious if they just didn't draft him. I just think it'd be really funny. That would be like the buyer would probably happened. quit on the spot if they didn't draft him. Yeah. We'll see. 100%. He'd have heart issues. We obviously, I don't want to spend too long on this one because this is an easy one. Just to like step away from the draft because we already know he's going to go number one. Just to evaluate him as a player. Obviously, very few flaws. Huge guy. Has a pretty big arm. He's pretty mobile. I'm sure you guys saw that rushing touchdown, and I think it was the semifinal game where he went for like 70 or 80 yards. He's pretty much got it all. If I were to nitpick one thing about him, and it's something that I've read, it can be attributed to this shoulder surgery that he's uh, rehabbing from right now, but he hasn't really filled out his frame to the, I guess, fullest that he could. I think he weighed in it. You guys can clarify me if I'm wrong here, but I think it was like 6'6", 215. Does that sound right? I think he was 6'6". Yeah, something around that. Yeah, and, and you know, I'd say he's probably going to get his way up to 230. If I were to guess, you got to put on probably 15 pounds just to fill into your frame a little bit, especially as a quarterback taking a lot of hits in the pocket. Aside from that, that's really it. That's the only thing I can say about him. And I'm sure his, sh- his shoulder surgery probably limits his ability to get in the gym as much as he would in a normal offseason. I'm sure that's why he hasn't really put on the weight yet, because I know uh, he didn't really change much from his playing weight to his pro day weight. But that, that's really all I got for Trevor. Yeah, I mean, it's a lock. All right, number two, we've got the Jets here. Uh, also a lock, in my opinion. I, I know Mel Kuyper's big on fields. I like fields a lot, too. But I do think the draft starts at three. I think Zach Wilson's a, really a phenomenal thrower of the football. A lot of people make the argument he's the best thrower in the class. Based on arm angles and the ability to throw from weird angles, I'd probably agree with that. Although, you know, I think Trevor could probably make a case based on what he's put together. But there's no need to argue that Zach's a great player. If they can set the, I guess, the foundation around him, you know, to a different, I guess, in a better way than they did with uh, with Sam Darnold, that should be a recipe for success because they've already had their shot at this with an early QB taking Darnold at three. 
that obviously didn't work out. And I can't even blame it on Darnold. I'm sure you guys agree with me. Darnold's pretty solid, just that the Jets sucked. So hopefully they've learned from that mistake. They'll fill around him with some O-linemen, some receivers, and I think Zach will probably have a pretty good career if they can manage to, you know, fuck themselves, you know, uh, stop themselves from fucking themselves in that regard. Yeah, I definitely think he's set up for more success than Darnold had. Mainly just, like, the big thing is there's no Adam Gates there. So that's, that's a big thing for Zach Wilson right there. And Robert Sal is a good coach. They brought in the, the passing game coordinator for the Niners. It's phenomenal. Like, Shanahan, Shanahan offense, always good. Um, But, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know how I feel about Zach Wilson. Like, yes, he can make all the throws. Like, he has an outstanding arm, but he's never had – like, he's played BYU schedule. Like, he never faced top talent. So, like, you never face these top defensive, like, SEC teams, like, guys like uh, Fields even did with Big Ten defenses or, like, Lawrence with ACC even then. It's a bit weak. But, like, you don't see, like, Joe Burrow, for example, he's going up against Georgia, Bama, like, all these top-tier defenses, yeah. like, game in, game out. And, like, we haven't really seen Zach Wilson with, with the ability to do that. Like, he played lesser competition, essentially. But, like, as I agree, he will go number two in the draft just based on projection and talent. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. That's what a lot of people have been saying. Like, he didn't, like, toughest teams he was playing was, like, Coastal Carolina, who had, like, a great yeah. but still, it's like, come on. Um, How many NFL players are at Coastal Carolina? Exactly. Uh, regardless, at the end of the day, I mean, he's be- he better be ready to be the number two uh, best quarterback in New York, because that's all he'll ever be, so. We'll Makai, too. Like, I want to touch on this for a quick second before we move on. Because, like, Darnold got beat up. And, like, I think Darnold will do well in Carolina as long as Carolina can protect him, which I'll get at later with my pick for the Panthers. My point in even bringing that up is they definitely watch out for a day two lineman, because I, O lineman that is, because I think they need to, you know, learn from the mistakes they've made in the past. Mount Becton on the side, locking it down at the tackle position. I'd love to see them get a day two tackle to secure that. Even, even, even a day one tackle. Yeah, we'll remember see. Remember they picked. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that at 23. It's more just based off of BPA, how we can get to, you know, I'd like to see them get a tackle. I just, to be honest, don't yeah. think there'll be any no. on the board at 23. So, With so the we'll, Jets having, like, 10 picks in the next, like, two years in the first, like, three rounds or so, like, not hyperbole, but, like, they have a shitload of picks in the next couple of years. So, like, they're going to have to use that to build around Zach Wilson, unlike they did with Sam Darnold. Surgery on the throwing shoulder as well. Thumb injury just following that in uh, 2019, I believe. So Zach Wilson does have, you know, a bit of a cautionary, I don't want to call it a red flag, but he's got the injury history that would make you, you know, think to yourself, if we're going to draft this guy, we need to do what we can to protect him. Because obviously I hate to be a pessimist, but when you have a pre-existing injury and you, uh, you're kind of opening that, I guess, susceptibility to potentially having another injury, which could hamper your ability to be a franchise quarterback for 10 to 15 years. So that's going to be a big need for the Jets. If they take Wilson, I think they'll take him regardless. That's my number two pick. So now we got the 49ers. Here's where the draft starts. Moved up. Don't have the exact compensation in front of me, but a huge haul. Two firsts, number 12, all to move up to number three with a quarterback in mind. A lot of smoke about Mac Jones. I kind of bought it at the beginning. And then the more I read into it, I just, I, it's a smokescreen. And I, I, this is going to look bad if they draft Mac Jones. And it's like, oh, I guess it wasn't a smokescreen. But I'm going to follow my gut. I think it's a smokescreen. I think Mac's good, but he's not Fields. Fields has played 
unbelievable competition and he's excelled he's played you know phenomenal games recently against Clemson in the semifinal and all the way dating back to when he started playing in college and in his high school career because he was a very heavily recruited high school player I think he's a he's a good pick for number three to the Niners he fits the Shanahan system that's who I got going I mean for sure uh, I'd agree with that I think uh I think the Mac Jones talk is mostly a smokescreen but I mean who knows honestly because if that's their guy that's their guy like going back I remember the Daniel Jones being linked to the Giants a couple days before the draft and I was like oh there's no way we know how that turned out but um I mean they traded up to three so it's going to be a quarterback um just depends what one yeah I, I agree with that obviously we're on QB and I agree that the Mac, I think the Mac Jones thing is complete smoke in my opinion he's the fifth best QB in the class and to take him with guys like Trey Lance and Justin Fields on the board would be insane but then again this is like this is Shanahan's pick right here and if he thinks Mac Jones gives his team the best ability to win and if he thinks Mac Jones can run his offense the best based on what he's seen then I think that's where it'll go but I just can't see that being the pick here yeah, Max also the fifth QB on my uh, on my big board, and I uh, I have to mention Lance here. I think Lance has a chance to go here, but ultimately, what was the deciding factor for me was the fact that Fields is so much more experienced and against like top level talent. Whereas you know Lance looks unreal playing in you know the FCS. Or I, I, that's what it is, right? Yeah, like it's like playing in like a league where he's not playing. I know Carson Wentz did the same thing. Ty, you've obviously watched a lot of Wentz, so I'm sure you want to jump in here. I ultimately think Lance isn't the pick due to the experience factor. Whether it's Fields or Garoppolo that starts on the first uh, the first week of camp or the however it goes, I don't think that really matters whether Fields plays right away or he sits. I think he's it's more of a fit pick in terms of how he's going to fit there schematically and all that he's proven, and if you want to jump in, Ty, before I move on, go ahead. Yeah, I actually disagree with your point because I think they're, they're drafting a QB. They're, that roster is built to win now. With all the young talent they have on rookie contracts, they're built to win now. So this move was to get a rookie, like a, a, a QB on a rookie deal to maximize that four or five years that they'll have them paying that cheap so that they can keep that other talent around them. So I don't think they go with a guy like Lance just because he's more of a developmental guy, right? Whereas Fields is like... He's ready. Like, I'd say he's one of the more pro-ready QBs in this draft. So I think they go with Fields here to because they're in win-now mode, essentially, with that, with that roster they had built up. I mean, they're two years removed from going to the Super Bowl. I totally side with you there. And uh, I agree that of the uh, five quarterbacks that we're talking about pr- pr- prominently, I'd say that Trey Lance is definitely the most, I guess, developmental, if you want to call it that, the guy that needs more mm-hmm. time and anticipate to sit on the bench and learn the ways of reading NFL defenses, considering that he's most recently played against FPS defenses. So I agree with that for sure. And if you want to talk pro-ready, I know that's been the whole, I guess, calling call of Mac Jones, it, him being that, uh, you know, him being the pro-ready guy that supposedly is understanding offenses and defenses and, you know, philosophies to a greater extent than any quarterback, you know, scouts have evaluated in college football. But where I do also agree with you is that I think it's a combination of you need a guy that's ready to win now. The Niners do have that window where they're trying to capitalize with a really good defense and pretty good offensive pieces. With that being said, you also want a guy that has the ceiling that can really be a guy for 10 to 15 years based off of his (laughs) physical traits and his mental traits. And that's where I think Fields separates himself. He's a really good athlete. What's it, like a 4-4-2? Something like that? Like, really fast. I mean, he ran a 4-4-2. True. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) every player in yeah yeah you know um can i I just touch on lance there for one more second actually 
the one thing that a lot of people don't know about North Dakota State is they actually run like the most complex playbook in all of college football, like Division One, Division Two, like FCS, FBS, and like they they run like their plays are like like a paragraph long. Like they they run like an NFL pro style playbook. It's just that he doesn't have the snaps. I think I saw he has like he's throwing the ball like under four hundred times total, like in his college career. Like it's just insane. I uh, I heard something about Lance that like, and I'm sure this is true because I don't think anyone would say this if it wasn't. He hasn't ran a two minute offense in college yet. He's only played 17 games, but I guess in those 17 games, he never got the chance to run mm-hmm. the two drill. That's crazy when you put that. So good. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Of course, they're much better than the competition in their uh, in their division. But when you contrast that with like Justin Fields, who's running like yeah. a championship deciding drives and like really crunch scenarios that's what kind of gives me the comfort to go with him there yeah 100 i agree all right so this is an interesting one i know i was talking to sherm before we got on ty we'll see with your mock draft and we have you come on falcons is super interesting because there's a lot of talk about a trade down potentially going quarterback potentially going best player available and i was saying to you guys before we start it's tough to like put in mock trades that don't pan out and then you kind of just totally ruin your mock draft because you're projecting things to happen that don't end up happening and i just tried my best to put myself in the shoes of the falcons here i think ultimately the niners set a really high standard with how much it costs to move up that high and i don't know if any of the teams are going to go chasing up to four for trey lance at that price i ultimately think the falcons hold on to this pick and take their best player available from the sound of it and kyle pitts a, a truly perfect fit with that offense. Matt Ryan's going to get a tight end the same way he had that relationship with Austin Hooper. And, you know, to compare Pitts to Hooper is probably an undersell. Pitts is one of the most athletic guys we've scouted as a tight end, probably since I've been looking at tight ends as a as a football fan. So uh, Pitts is a great pick there. Great wideouts in Julio and Ridley, and I'm sure he'll mesh right in. I think that's the play for uh, Atlanta. Yeah, I, I think that would be a great pick for them. I also agree that I think they will look be looking to move back in the draft, but I don't know if they'll find the compensation that they that they want. And yeah, you have the top top positional player, like three QBs go in front of you, which is a guarantee. You're going to have your pick of everybody. And like, yeah, Kyle Pitts is a unicorn. And like, you hear that word so much, but he is like like four four six six, like just incredible like hands, routes are good. And yeah, him in that offense with Julio, Calvin Ridley, Matt Ryan, who... People are like overlooking. He won an MVP like not even what three four years ago. Like he's still he's still a great quarterback. He just didn't have the team around him. Um, but the only thing here is like Arthur Smith in Tennessee. He got a lot of production out of tight ends that weren't highly drafted. Like Johnny Smith was a late round pick. Uh, Ferser I think might have been undrafted. So like it does does he value the tight end position that highly? That's something you have to think about. But I think Kyle Pitts is the best player here, and I think that's who they should go with. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good point. Um, if they stay there, I think Pitts is probably, unless they take a quarterback, like they could take Lance and just have yeah. him sit behind uh, Matt Ryan for a couple of years or whatever they want to do. But, like, just um, from a general perspective, like, when's the last time a tight end went number four or even, like, top five? Vernon you know? Davis, maybe? Like, no, I think he was six. Hawkinson was eight. That was recent. I'm not sure about anyone in the top five recently. Yeah. I know. Yeah. What? Oh, wait. Was he eight or nine? Now I'm sorry. I think he might be nine now that I say it out loud. Ha- ha- I think Hawkinson was eight. I think you were right the first time okay. he was eight. 
Well, uh, just two points on that. One thing I wanted to touch on, quarterback, Sherm, you alluded to it. I think this might go without saying for a lot of people, but just to write this off, Falcons with Matt Ryan under contract for two years, I definitely don't see Mac Jones as the quarterback pick because Mac Jones is kind of seen as the most pro-ready, ready to you know plug and play, very smart, kind of ready to go. I think if they're going to go QB and Fields goes off the board at number three and they're choosing between Lance and Mac, I think Lance is definitely the pick because as Ty said earlier, he's a developmental guy, huge ceiling with the rushing ability and his all-around athletic skill set. I'd say... Uh, I'd say if it's not, you know, if it's not a positional guy and they're going quarterback, Lance seems to make sense. But I don't think this is where Lance is going to go. But, you know, if they go QB, I'd say it's probably going to be Lance. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, we got five here. And this has been a controversial one for Bengals fans. Don't know any Bengals fans personally, but I'm sure if they, <laughs> if I did, I'm sure if I did, they'd be kind of, I guess, in a bit of a pickle here, a little bit of a dilemma with who they should take. Because obviously we know the report between Burrow and Jamar Chase, and that was really probably one of the best QB to wide receiver tandems I've seen in college football. Honestly, like really just dominant in every respect. They were really good together, and I think that's going to be how they how they go here. I think they're going to go Jamar Chase at five, and I know that's such a tough pill to swallow for a lot of Bengals fans after seeing Joe Burrow end the season in such a terrible way with the you know with the season ending injury, and that was ultimately a byproduct of their terrible offensive line play which will, you know, if they go wide receiver here, really stress the need for them to go O-lineman in early day two when they're drafting there. But I just think you can't pass on that pre-established report between Burrow and Chase, and they're going to have to pass on the likes of Panay Suell or Sean Slater and go with Jamar Chase here at five. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much either or for those two picks. Like, everybody keeps flip-flop them and it's like the smart pick is Panay and the the sexy pick I guess if you want to say that is Jamar but um it's just funny because I always just think back to that meme I'm sure you guys saw it of like it was like Burrow with like any offense like whoever they have throwing to chase like he's just going to get sacked before he can even throw it to chase whereas if he has Panay he can actually have time to throw it to Higgins and Boyd who are like very quality NFL wide receivers in my opinion so um I don't know we'll see Yeah, once again, like, it's it's one or the other. And, like, I, I hear rumors that uh, Burrow has been, like, pining for Jamar Chase. But, like, I don't know how true that is. Like, obviously, he would want to play with his friend. But, like, he also probably doesn't want to tear his ACL again. Yeah. Um, but, like, I think this comes down to what the Bengals think they have in Riley. Like, they signed Riley Reef to a one-year deal. And if they think he can lock up one tackle position, yeah, they definitely go Chase here. But, like, I think Jonah Williams... Yeah. is uh like Jonah Williams is a good tackle so if they think that Riley Reef can handle that other spot I think they go chase but I think that smart pick once again is they should they should definitely go with Panay here but like who knows if they will do that yeah. one thing I wanted to mention here Ty because I know like that's like pretty much 51 percent to 49 percent or even 50 50 like it's pretty much split in Cincinnati but yeah. uh we would be foolish to go without mentioning that this is a deep O-lineman class. Like, there are guys on day two. When I say, like, oh, they should target an O-lineman in day two, and I'm kind of throwing it out there, like, that's might not be a possibility. That will be a possibility because it is deep. You can look at it, the top 10 O-lineman, top 10 offensive tackles even in particular, and that's a pretty deep class. Like, you can find some round two, round three guys that will compete, unlike some other years where you're thin at offensive tackle and it being such a position of need. It's like, damn, we got it nine now because we might not get a guy later 
I agree that Panay is probably the best in the class, but I don't think that it's the end-all be-all if they go chase over Panay in terms of uh, Joe Burrow's health. Because I do think, like, on day two, I don't know, like, Dylan Radunes, if that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, there's a bunch of other guys, like, so many, so many, honestly, that are just, like, uh, I know there's a Bama guy, like Alex Witherspoon, I think. And then, obviously, a bunch of interior alignment as well who are projected for uh, day two. So, like, a lot of auto alignment. And uh, I heard the stat from Greeny earlier today that really, uh, this actually goes to your point, Ty, but I want to mention it. It's, uh, they did a stat, and it's, offensive or uh, draft pick hit rate and it was a metric they were calculating based off of what players drafted in the first round got a second contract after fulfilling their five years or four years if they didn't get their option picked up on their first round draft status so for offensive tackles it was a 60 percent hit rate so to speak meaning that 60 percent of the first round offensive tackles that were drafted were then signed by their team that drafted them to a second contract, it was only 27% for first-round wide receivers. So I know Jamar Chase is a generational guy, but as we go on here and we talk about guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and even Bateman, who I'm going to have later in the first round, those are guys that, you know, it's, it's important to take this with a grain of salt because I think some of these stats are important because it's showing that a lot of these O-linemen are more of a, I guess, surefire based off of the positional history in comparison to the wide ones, so... Yeah, the, the uh, but the thing is with like Penai, he might be like Jamar Chase's generation talent, but like so is he. Like, there's been talks that he's one of the best tackles of like since Joe Thomas to come out, like prospect wise. And like, although like it is a deep tackle class, I think the drop off after the top two tackles is pretty significant. I would argue more so than the drop off after the first little batch of receivers you're gonna see. Yeah, my point was just going to be it's a deep tackle class, but it's also a deep wide receiver class. So, like, whatever you want to do. That's true. I cannot deny that. Though It's only really weak. I'd say it's weak at edge. Definitely pretty weak on the mm-hmm. end. Inter- interior D-line, super weak. Interior, well, there's really no D-ends, right? Like, compared to previous years where there's, like, that star D-ends that's, like, you know, that top mm-hmm. guy board, you know, Chase Young's of the draft. And uh, I, I certainly would say that's kind of where this draft's lacking. We'll get into that later. Let's move on because we've been talking about Panay. That's the next <laughs> mock. I have the Dolphins. They're, you know, they're probably head over heels, honestly, to protect Tua and to kind of build the foundation for the offense. I'm sure they would have liked Jamar Chase because they need pass catchers, but they're not sweating here. They were able to trade back up with the Eagles for this reason, to have the security of getting either Pitts, Chase, or Panay, in my opinion. They end up getting Panay. He's a fantastic prospect the highest graded offensive tackle, or it might even be offensive lineman in pro football Focus's history of grading O-linemen. And that was when he was a sophomore, opted out his junior year, declared for the draft instead of coming back as a senior. No one can blame him considering the year he put on in 2019. My top tackle, from the sound of it, your top tackles. Let's talk about him for a bit. I mean, yeah. I mean, what can we say about Panay? Like, he can... He can do it all. He can play both sides. I'm hearing he can play left tackle or right tackle. Um, it's it's funny because it, it just seems like this Dolphins pick is basically whoever the Bengals don't pick. You know what I mean? They're just, they're just waiting and seeing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, smart pick, protect Tua. I also do think that if the Falcons do end up going quarterback, that Kyle Pitts is going to be an option at this pick. Yeah. Like, he's That's... a weapon. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, and I, I mean, Outstanding protecting uh, Justin Herbert, who we saw came out and was 
unbelievable in the NFL. And I mean, maybe the Dolphins made the wrong pick last year and they could have reunited Panay and Justin Herbert, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, it's looking like that so far, but you know, it'd be a little quick to write two off, but obviously Herbert's looking at the stud and as a Broncos fan, I certainly wish it was the other way around. Sherm, you mentioned Panay being a, able to play on both sides. He played his entire sophomore that outstanding season. That was entirely left tackle. But to your point, he's announced recently that he's taken all of his pre-draft practice reps at right tackle, really just to open that door to the teams that you know need a right tackle as opposed to a left, showing that he has that versatility. And uh, as you alluded to there, I think that's huge. Because uh, you know Broncos, I love Panay. But we already have a left tackle that we just paid $72 million over four years to in Garrett Bowles. But if Panay is willing to play on the right side and he's been working at that, that changes everything, right? I don't think he's going to be there. I think he goes here. But that definitely is something that should be noted mm-hmm. for him. Especially in today's NFL. Left tackle and right tackle are basically – like they should be – they're just as important in today's NFL with the, the premier pass rushers playing both sides now. And like it's just like um, – like look at Lane Johnson. We drafted – the Eagles drafted him to be – the left tackle and then Jason Peters played for another 10 years and he's just been an outstanding right tackle with that. So I think they're both positions are just as important. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this is kind of like, it was kind of easy to this point in terms of like picking the spots in my mock. I didn't really have trouble getting a six here. All of this made sense. I didn't have any trades here at seven is kind of where it gets hard is what I'd say. Like the lions, I had to call up a couple buddies that are lions fans, kind of pick their brain a little about how they feel I have some buddies that are open to trading back, but they don't want to go too far back. I looked at the teams that were there, and I don't really see any fits because I don't really see any quarterback needy teams until about the Patriots. And I don't really think the Patriots are going to move up to seven. I don't really see that. I know that's being a mock. I, I just don't see it. I think Bill would probably – he's more of a trade back guy than a trade up, and I'm just going to stick with what he's put out through his history. And I'm going to say that the Lions stay put. And they're going to take Trey Lance. I mean, they probably weren't going for a QB initially. They weren't looking to trade up for one. But now seeing that Lance has slid to them and that they don't have to trade back to get him, they're simply probably just going to, if this is the case, he must be the best player on their board. And I wouldn't blame them for thinking that, considering all of the traits that he has. They have Goff, who they owe a huge amount of money to, although they have no real commitment given that they didn't draft him. And I'm pretty sure they can get out from under that in about two years. Get, and, you know, in addition to the fact that he's probably a great guy for Lance to learn from being a developmental prospect. So I think that's a pretty good situation. I think they take Trey Lance and that ends Lance's brief slide. He's going to be the fourth off the board in my book. What do you guys think about that one? Um, yeah, I think if Trey Lance or, or Justin Fields is on, on the board here, they definitely are going to have to think long and hard about what, where they see themselves in the next two to three years as, as a football franchise. I think this pick definitely comes to if one of those quarterbacks on the board is do they go after a receiver to replace Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, or do they take the quarterback of the future? And we talked about Trey Lance earlier. Like, yeah, he's only had a certain amount of snaps in college football, but, like, he is from a pretty complex offensive system. I mean, he has the legs. He has the arm talent. Like, I, I think he's going to end up being a pretty good quarterback in this league. And, I mean, it just depends what the line, where the Lions want to go with this pick. I could see them trying to trade back as well, but, as you mentioned, like, it's going to be tough to find a partner. Takes two yeah. Sorry. What were you saying? No, I was saying it takes two to tango. So that's kind of the whole <laughs> thing there. I yeah. know the Lions want to trade back. It's all that's been talked about, really, from the Falcons and from the Lions. But it really just comes down to finding the suitor. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to 
one of my buddies who's a Lions fan that's like they have so many needs on like mm-hmm. both sides of the ball. So it makes so much sense for them to trade back to just get draft capital. But um, if they were to stay put at seven and like given the players that are on the board, Lance is probably the smart pick. Yeah, because it's like who knows when you're going to get another guy like this and he gets to sit for a year at least, probably two behind uh, Jared Goff and learn the system, learn everything. I would just like to say if Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts is on the board at seven, look for the Eagles to try and trade up. However unlikely that that one of them okay. is on the board. Okay. If that so happens. One of the things that I was thinking, like I went talking. Sorry, sorry, I cut you off there. Go ahead. I was pretty much done. Oh, I was, well, I was just uh, I was, when I was uh, looking up the Lions because the Lions was one of those. Sherm, you hit hit the nail on the head there. They have so many needs, and that was one of the reasons why I was like, oh, it would be so great for them to trade back. And I'm looking at suitors. I mentioned the Patriots. There's the Redskins – or excuse me, the football team, rather. There's the Bears. Those are teams that could maybe need a QB, even the Steelers. But I don't see them trading that far back because, I, as we've kind of said, they probably want to stay within 15 at the latest in order to get, like, a key player that they can build as a part of their foundation. I know they have a lot of holes, but you want to get one of those top 15 guys usually when you have the opportunity to get them. I think that's a tough sell. Brad Holmes, current general manager of the Lions, he was with the Rams and was one of the biggest, uh, from from what I hear, one of the biggest voices in bringing in Jared Goff as the uh, as the number one pick when he was with the Rams. Makes sense why he would want him on the Lions, considering that he was a fan of him back in his Cal days. But, you know, that's uh, it's a tough situation because he's due so much money. He's, he's you know, older in, in the sense that he's been in the league for about five, six years now. And is definitely has a, a lot, I guess, left a lot less left than a guy like Lance, who's only twenty and has a ton of room to flourish. So they pair those two together, let him duke it out for the first year, and we'll see who comes out on top after that. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I got the Panthers now, and word from Rappaport like two days ago that they're looking to trade down, or not? Uh, sorry, not looking to trade down. That's a bit of an exaggeration. Open to trading down, and are hearing calls about doing so. Bit of a similar situation to what I've been saying with the Lions. I'm sure they would trade down. Probably don't want to trade down too far. And I don't know if any of these teams within the 11 to 15 range would want to give up enough to get up to eight for any of the guys currently on the board. Because a lot of the current players, based off of where they're projected to go, it should slot out well for these for the remaining teams over the next six or seven picks. So I think the Panthers will just stay put here and they'll draft Rashawn Slater. They need to get Darnold protection. It's the same shit I was harping on about the Jets with not protecting Darnold. The Panthers are going to learn from that mistake, and they're going to get, whether it be an offensive tackler, an offensive guard, and Rashawn Slater, super versatile. 33-inch arms, so a little short, but played Chase Young phenomenally back in 2019, I think it was, opted out this past season at Northwestern. But I think he's great, honestly. So I think that would be a good pick at eight. Yeah, Rashawn Slater, like, he has the potential to be just as good as Panay. Like, it's it's 1A, 1B for the two of them, and that that's where I think the drop-off comes after them, and yeah, I think this would be a great pick for the Panthers. I mean, they have the skill positions locked up. They're, they went all defense last year, so they definitely need some help along the O-line for Darnold, or Teddy. We don't know who's going to win that battle, but... I, I res- I'll respect to Teddy, obviously. Teddy's, like, a phenomenal role model in the locker room, but I, I actually think Darnold's, like, pretty good, so I think Darnold will run that job for sure. Yeah, I think he will as well, but, like, Never know. Yeah, yeah we'll see. 
I mean, I agree for sure. Um, as a Giants fan, I'll be pretty uh, upset slash disappointed when the Panthers take Slater because I really want Slater, to be honest. Um, but yeah, just another great tackle prospect. Broncos are at nine. I'm a Broncos fan. I'm going to be upset too because I love Slater. I've been saying that from the get-go. Panay or Rashawn, both would be amazing. Here's my yep. first mock trade, fellas. We got to nine without a mock trade. Now it's my Broncos. Obviously, that's a little bit of a bias, and we'll see how it works out. I've been hearing a ton of noise about either moving up, moving down, or staying put. Padden loves to be involved in every deal. He made that known from the get-go, whether it be, you know, just getting into the talks for the sake of getting into the talks or actually pulling the trigger. He always wants to be a part of the conversation. And I think now is when he finally makes his first move. He's not going far, actually. Ty, keep your ears open here because he's only moving back to 12 because the Eagles are moving up to nine. It's an interesting situation here. Back-to-back-to-back picks in the same division as it currently stands with the Cowboys, the Giants, and Eagles. The Eagles traded back and they got a first round pick for doing so. It was great, great return. But now they're looking at it. We got a first round pick. We only moved back six spots and we're going to let two teams in our division get their shot at guys before we get our shot at a guy. No, we're going to move up to number nine and leapfrog them. Only have to move up, what is it, three spots. They're going to give up pick number 12 and pick number 70 in this year's draft to move up to number nine with the Broncos. And they're going to steal who's widely projected to be the Cowboys pick at number 10, Patrick Sertain, the second, the cornerback, and ultimately secure their franchise cornerback. I think that's the first mock trade that I, uh, that I see happening. Yeah, this is actually something that, like, I think, I think we might try and trade ahead of the Cowboys for sure, because especially after last year where you had the opportunity to trade ahead of them with the Falcons and take CeeDee Lamb and decided to not make that deal and then watch C.D. Lamb be C.D. Lamb for the Cowboys, I think I think that's going to play a part in our GM's mind when uh, both both the Cowboys and Eagles are very clearly targeting corners, whether it be in the first, second, or third round this year. So if the top, top corner on your board's there and you're scared the Cowboys might take them, I think after last year's mishap, you definitely have to pull the trigger, especially with having two third-round picks. If you can deal one of those to move ahead of them, you do it. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great point. That's that's a pretty interesting and crazy trade. Like I never really considered that, but it's definitely realistic. Like pretty much every mock draft that I've seen has certain going to the Cowboys. So like yeah, I mean I could see this happening for sure if the Eagles believe that certain is their guy, number one corner in the class, which is widely recognized as. And and here's the thing that like I I mentioned it when I first started talking, but this is really really good maneuvering by the eagles if they can pull this off because they got a first rent only to move back six spots and then only have to give up their 70th overall pick in addition to number 12 to move back up to nine i've looked uh, i've looked at the history when i came up with that i didn't want to let my bias play into it so i looked up past trade backs over the past six years used market value in order to come up with this trade compensation i think that's pretty fair to be honest, I know it's not like as a Broncos fan, you're like, oh, trade back and you only get 70. But in the end of the day, I think we're probably going to get the guy we would have taken at nine at 12. And we're going to get the 70th overall pick for doing it. I think it makes a tremendous amount of sense for the Eagles, especially after getting cucked out of CeeDee Lamb last year. But as Ty just met the Cowboys, a little revenge move here. Trade up kind of flips everyone's mocks on their head a little because Sherman, you said it. Uh, Patrick Sertain to the Cowboys has been like one of the bigger locks 
really around the mock draft community from what I've seen. That's one of the biggest. Yeah, I know you can use lock is not really a good word to use in these mocks because nothing's really a lock when it comes to the draft. But that's one of the, you know, one of the more widely expected moves. And I think that's kind of where we're going to get a bit of a surprise here. The Eagles as the first team to make a trade up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that- one thing, if, the, if I do think if the Bron- if say Trey Lance or Justin Fields is on the board at nine, I, I think the Broncos have to sprint their car to the podium and, and make that draft pick. It's, an, it's going to be interesting if one of those guys is available at nine. Of course, I don't have that happening in this situation, but I agree yeah. with I've already said to you, I like Rashawn, I like Panay, I like the guy we're going to take at 12, hopefully. And then I also said I'd be open to a quarterback, either Lance or Fields, if they slide to nine. I'm sure as an Eagles fan, you're going to be biting your nails when this trade happens, if it does, praying that they don't take Mac Jones, and I don't think they will. (laughs) But that would be a pretty interesting situation to get some former Bama guys together. And uh, that, yeah, I I guess ended up that One interesting thing about the Eagles, we have not taken an Alabama player ever in the draft since Nick Saban is coached there. We're the only team. Really? Never. Don't know why, because Alabama produces some great talent. But, yeah, we'll see. And so, that's crazy. Basically, three, three of the top players I want this year are from Alabama. So, <laughs> so Jerry, Jerry Jones better have some good cellular, cellular connection out on the yacht, because he's going to be ringing both phones after this. Asking his guys how the hell that just happened. Eagles leapfrog them. Probably take their corner from the sound of it. Good thing for Jerry is that it's pretty neck and neck. As of right now, between Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn. Horn, more of the press man guy, really physical. And has gotten high praise from a lot of current stars in the league, such as Jalen Ramsey, Richard Sherman, to lead guys like that who have really, uh, really taken a liking to how physical he plays. I think they'll set... I don't even really want to call it settling. They'll pick, you know, the next best corner on the board, J.C. Horn at number 10. So back-to-back corners after they get leapfrogged by the Eagles, it goes Sertain and then Horn at 10. I think the Cowboys probably will end up taking, if the, if the mock trade with Eagles doesn't happen, I think Sertain probably goes to the Cowboys at 10. But based on how things fall here, I think they go Horn at 10. Um, yeah, as you said, like these two prospects are neck and neck. Like I think Horn, Patrick Sertain might be the most like, he plays like a, an NFL vet already. Like he's definitely the most pro ready of the two. But I think like JC Horn definitely has the potential to be better. I mean, he has yeah, he's more athletic. He has the aggression. Like he watching his film, he reminds me a lot of Jalen Ramsey. Like I, I can't think of another corner coming out since Jalen Ramsey that has been so similar in their play style with the aggression and passion and just that pure athleticism that they play with. So I think he definitely has the potential to end up as the best corner in this class. But if you're looking for a guy that can plug and play day one, Patrick Sertain is that guy. But then again, J.C. Horn has a potential to exceed that, I would say. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think, um, yeah, I think, I think these corners, it basically just comes down to um, what, what you need and what you prefer. Obviously, they, they'd like to reunite the Diggs-Sertain um, pair on either side. But um, if that doesn't happen, I think Horn's a great option B. And like you guys said, I think he could easily be the best corner in the draft when it's all said and done. Yeah, but on, I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I'm not going to bullshit it. But I know at South Carolina, he had like a phenomenal track record when he was going against uh, top-tier opponents, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, I think uh, Kadarius Tony, Devonta Smith, 
there was a bunch of guys that he had gone up against. And they Devontae had, Smith actually cooked him pretty bad. That was like the one that cooked him. That one might have been the worst one. And it was only like, what was it, like 60-something yards allowed in man coverage? Yeah, it was like, yeah. I think it was like 70. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really not that bad. Like, just to be like, that's his worst. And it's against Devontae Smith, who is one of the better receivers in this class, who also happens to be the next pick at 11 to the Giants. I know I had a little <laughs> alert there. got right nice in. Segue. Nice yeah. little segue there. Okay. Sherm, I know you wanted Rashawn, and I understand that. Offensive tackles really highly coveted. As I mentioned earlier with the stat from, uh, from ESPN Greeny, huge hit rate on offensive tackles in comparison to wide receivers. But Devontae Smith coming off the Heisman, a little undersized at 170, obviously. I know Deshaun Jackson came in at the same weight, if that makes anyone feel any better. Although Deshaun Jackson wasn't, you know, a first-round pick. With that being said, he's put on phenomenal tape, really good route runner, great hands, honestly. He's just got to, I'd say, I'd like to see him add a little more weight, but like he's doing good at what he's at. You just got to avoid taking big hits. The guys are bigger in the NFL, running across the middle, everyone's a little faster. So you just got to be a little cautious of that. I know it's really going to come down here if they take wide out. It's going to be between Smith and Waddle. Probably a preference thing. I like Smith just based off what he's put on film. And also something that's been kind of underspoken this offseason, I haven't really heard a lot on the medical rechecks on Waddle's foot. I know everyone seems to think it's fine, but the last time I saw him play, he was pretty hampered by it. And, you know, everyone likes to make a big fuss out of Devonta Smith only weighing 170 pounds. And, you know, maybe rightfully so. But, you know, on the opposite side of things, we got a guy who's recovering from a foot and we don't really know how recovered he is. So I think we're going to go Smith. You could look at uh, Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State, potentially, if they want to go defense, my top linebacker in the class. But I think wideout is going to make sense. Pair him with the new, their new uh, you know, highly paid wideout in Galladay. You still got guys like Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, Saquon coming off the ACL. A much different offense coming into 2021 than what we saw last year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean at this point, I would um, probably agree with this pick because like, we signed Galladay. Galladay is more of a a jump ball, not really a route runner kind of guy. So you, you pair a jump ball guy with a route runner and Devontae Smith on the other side, put Shepard in the slot. Offense should be cooking. Um, the only issue, you said Devontae Smith's like 170 pounds. I think I read on Twitter today that he's like 163 pounds. 165. Yeah, like it's basically like me playing in the NFL right now, wide receiver. So I don't see – how that's going to translate to the NFL. I mean, like we said, he played in the SEC, so basically, like, played NFL competition. Um, but I don't know. It'll just be interesting to see. But Heisman winner, can't really miss. Yeah, so his official measurements were 6'2", I think 164, 165, or something like that, which is actually lighter than Deshaun Jackson was coming out. And Deshaun Jackson is, I think, three or four inches shorter than Devontae Smith, so... Uh, I was reading up on it actually earlier today, and there's basically been like four players with comparable measurements since the year 2000, like around the same weight and height. Um, three of them played one year in the NFL and had all had under 200 yards receiving. And the other one, I don't know if you guys remember who this was. It was uh, Todd Pinkston, one of the Eagles' number one receivers. He was like his legs were like bones. He played he played on those early 2000 teams, but he he had an NFL career four years. I think he had maybe 2,000 total receiving yards. So but like, how many of those guys won a Heisman? Sorry, I was just gonna Yeah, say. no, exactly. Devontae Smith, if he was twenty pounds heavier, would would be a top three player in this in this draft class. Like if he was weighed about two hundred. But the only thing is, like, how different is an NFL weight room from Alabama's weight room? Like how much weight is he actually gonna put on? 
and if he puts on that weight, like he's already not the fastest guy, like, like what's his speed going to look like if he puts on that weight? Like, I don't know. I, I love Devonte Smith as a prospect. I, I think he's going to be a stud, but obviously his measurements are kind of like, I could see some teams after the weigh-in today taking him off their board completely is what is all I can say. Yeah. It's a bit concerning. And I know he had the hand injury recently in the, or it might've been the finger. But, like, and I hear he's recovering from it, so no need to make a fuss about that. But aside from that, like, he has a pretty clean uh, injury bill. Like, if you look at his uh, history, and especially for a guy that weighs that little playing in the SEC, you know, he's he's managed to do well to this point. To say do well is an understatement. He won the Heisman. So, uh, you know, it's all a matter of how long, I guess, he can either hold up playing at that specific weight or, you know, how long it will take him to transition to a new weight and what that, you know, what repercussions that might have on his playing abilities. I think Smith's going to be a great player, but he definitely does have a little bit of a risk, especially when you compare him to a guy like Jamar Chase, who we all seem to think is going to be a seamless fit in the league, especially when you see him, like, you know, playing on the same team as Jefferson and then Jefferson transitions so well in his first year. That kind of gives you a little bit of reassurance that makes, at least for me, I kind of think like, oh my God, Jamar Chase is going to be a beast. So uh, I got a little sidetracked there, but here we go. Broncos 12, trade back with the Eagles. I already mentioned the trade earlier. My guy, ultimately someone who I'd be okay with at number nine, but I think we can end up getting at number 12 as long as the Giants pass on him at the pick before. Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State. The best blitzer of all the linebackers. The best run stopper out of all the linebackers. Probably the best off-ball pass rusher out of all the linebackers. Really just like a sick skill set like really fast an absolute animal and it's all a matter of how well he can transition into our scheme he hasn't really found a true position which is something that's you know isaiah simmons was the guy who was in that boat last year and to this point with the cardinals got selected number eight i think hasn't turned out as well as a lot of people envisioned although we're only one year into it so you know there's a the stories to be written there but I think that Vic Fangio's system should allow him to fly around and really excel at what he's best at, and I think this will be a good pick, a good pick for Denver here. Yeah, I think it, I think it's great value getting Parsons at twelve, and um, dude was off the field issues. I think he could he probably might slide to twelve, and like you'd be getting great value there. But yeah, he's a guy you can line up all over the field. He can rush the passer. He can cover excellently. Like he's just he's like a five star prospect essentially. Like there's not really much flaws to his game. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be a great fit for the Broncos defense and Vic Fangio loves his defense. So I think it'd be a great pickup there. It'll be interesting because we run like the three, four and I've heard some people say like, if you want that you were talking about like nitpicking the skill set a little. So I'll, I've watched a lot of film on him being that I have him going to Denver. So one thing I'll mention that is something that he might have to improve on based off of where we get him going in the system. If he's going to be like a true Mike playing at one of those inside positions and he has to guard tight ends or, you know, running backs are a little bit of an easier cover, but let's just say tight ends running downfield. That's an area where I'd like to see him take some strides in terms of like pass coverage from the linebacker position everywhere else. He's pretty much, you know, flying off the charts with how I grade him. That's pretty much one area. I'd like to see us minimize how much he gets into pass coverage pretty much due to that being the really the only flaw in his game that's noticeable on tape. But I think we can work around that really good uh, pass rusher in Vaughn Miller that he's going to get to learn behind if we can get him in that situation, which should help him polish out some of those moves. And I think that's a no-brainer. So 
that's a great pick. We also have the Chargers next. So a little bit of strategic positioning here, just making sure you slot in one pick above the division rival. The Chargers need O-line. They're really, like, they have Herbert, who's great. He did take some hits last year, and they don't really have a good O-lineman. They just got Lindsley from Green Bay. Who's a, that's great signing, honestly. But they don't really have anywhere, anyone else. I think they had Okun for a bit that they traded for from the Panthers, maybe. Or no, Trey Turner that they traded Okun for, but they let Trey Turner go. Their O-lineman needs a little bit of retooling. I think, ultimately, Christian Darisaw offensive tackle probably the third offensive tackle on the board for most people depends if you if you view elijah bear tucker as a guard or a tackle because he's uh he's a bit of a, a what's called swiss army knife in the o-lineman spot there playing both the interior line and the tackle spot but i think the chargers opt for the true tackle and they go derisaw here at 13 yeah i think i think they definitely have to go o-line here to protect uh justin herbert and yeah as you mentioned like Darisaw is up there, but like I think that there's this kind of like there's Penne and Rayshon, and then there's this like next kind of grouping of O line, and you have like uh, Barrett Tucker, Darisaw, and uh, Tevin Jenkins, and then maybe even the, the Texas Texas tackle. I'm blanking on his name right now, but I, I I think they definitely have to go with one of those four guys at this pick for sure. Yeah, I mean I, I agree. I think Darisaw makes the most sense here for O lineman in general, but Darisaw in this case. Um, I think they'll be teased with like Jalen Waddle or something like that. Just the idea of having like Keenan Mike on the outside, Jalen Waddle speeding on the other outside. Cause I mean, we saw how big Herb was slinging those deep balls. Him to Jalen Waddle would be ridiculous, but if they're smart, I think they go there. So. And that kind of segues into the Vikings here because this I mentioned to you guys earlier how I had to readjust a little bit because I had Quiddy Pay slotted in here for a couple weeks. And then I, you know, it's tough because there's so much film you got to watch and you want to read up on team needs. And the more I did research on the Vikings, the more I saw the stress to recoup the O-line. Same story as the Chargers. They really just don't have that good of an O-line. And they have no guards in particular. This is a perfect calling for Elijah Vera Tucker. Played the offensive tackle last season, moving from the guard spot. And he played pretty good at offensive tackle, but he has a bit shorter arms than you'd like for an offensive tackle. And he played guard before. A lot of people are projecting him to be a guard. I think that is what he's going to play for the Vikings. They'll come in as one of their interior offensive linemen playing either guard side. Not sure which one it's going to be. And if they need him to play tackle, then he can slide over because he did that last year. So a great you know, Swiss Army knife, as I said earlier really meets their team needs. I know you like to draft best player available when you can, but this is just such a glaring hole for the Vikings. And a team that's uh, offensive system relies so heavily around the run game, you definitely don't want to have major holes on your O-line. This will be a great pick for Dalvin. I know Dalvin loves to, you know, they love to run in pretty much 20-plus carries a game. This should help them do so with success. I think Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be the pick at 14 here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a great pick. Uh, like, I think he'd be one of the best players on the board. Maybe not a receiver, besides the receiver you have left out there, but they're not going to go receiver with Jefferson and Thielen. So I think Bear Tucker is a great pick here due to your mock draft, and I think they'd, they'd be happy with that decision. Best guard in the class. Yeah, I mean, pretty similar to the Chargers pick. I think this makes a lot of sense. Um, I think this is kind of... Uh, a unique thing but i think they might be teased at looking like uh i mean i guess in this in this case it would just be mac jones but i think they'd be kind of teased to look at a quarterback let's say if trey lance were be on the board 
Because, like, obviously we know Kirk Cousins is solid, and I don't know how many years he's still under contract for, but, like, you got to start looking at the future eventually. And to be honest, Kirk Cousins' team is kind of capped at, like, like you're, you're not going to win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins, to be honest. So I think that would be an interesting look if Lance or someone like that was on the board. But, uh, yeah, smart pick. So that leads to the pass. Uh, one, one other thing. I... Go ahead, go ahead. No, it's all good. Go ahead. Oh, uh, sorry. One other thing, I could see the Vikings going defense here. Like, I mean, their defense obviously was a huge weakness on that team last year. And, like, they have a defensive-minded coach, so I could definitely see him wanting to shore up that defense. And I think in your mock, you don't have any D-linemen going yet, so they could have their pick of the litter there. Mm -hmm. I I mentioned when I started there, Hay was a guy who I really was considering here to the Vikings of 14, and I've seen a lot of mocks with that happening and that kind of scares me honestly when you see a lot of shit happening in the mocks because it's so rare that you get that stuff right and you know i've I've talked to some guys that like pay as a mid-15s guy but i also have seen some people that think he's an early 20s guy so you know that's kind of a tough projection and i agree with you that if they don't go guard here and they opt to wait for one of those day two guards they probably will go defense and i could see them picking from the, from the litter here with the edge rushers maybe going pay, or, you know, if they like Rousseau or Phillips more, I, I don't anticipate that. But, you know, if that's yeah. they, if that's how they look at it, then I could see that happen. But I think I think the offensive guard here just it, it fits the, the needs of the team too well. 100%. Yeah. So the Pats were, like, one of the biggest talking points this, uh, this pre-draft process as a potential trade-up team because the Pats have never been this high, right? Playoffs for... I don't know the number, but like at least 10 to 15 straight years from the sound of it since the early, I think, what was it, mid-2000s when they were last not in the playoffs? It's been fucking forever. Oh, 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 oh you're very towards ACL 09. Or, okay, so, so late late 2000s. So the point is that they haven't had a pick this high in a long time, and a lot of people think they're going to use that as a means of getting even higher to get a quarterback. I think that they take a quarterback, but I don't think that they're trading up to get one in giving up a bunch of ammo for their late round picks. I think they're going to stay put at 15 and they're going to get Mac Jones who slid all the way to 15 after being talked about as potentially the number three overall pick. And it's so full. It's funny, the full circle that I'm doing here because like Bill back in, you know, I think it was three weeks ago at the Mac Jones pro day out in Tuscaloosa, you know, making that frowny face, watching Mac Jones sail a couple deep balls at the pro day that just turned everyone off of that potential matchup, right? Everyone's like, oh, like, Bill's so disgusted with what he's seen here from Mac. Like, he doesn't like Mac. That's not going to be a fit. You know, I've heard such great things about the understanding that Mac has as a quarterback and how important that is from that position. And, you know, working with a guy like Brady, who obviously one of the goats in the game, he wasn't necessarily the most athletically gifted, right? He was just one of those guys that understood to a greater extent than most people did. And that's kind of the same sentiment that you're hearing with Mac Jones. I think it would be super funny if after seeing all those memes about Bill, you know, staring over at Mac, they end up matching up at pick number 15 because he kind of, I don't want to say that's the reason he slides, but, you know, the pro day definitely opened some eyes. Some people who thought, you know, you see Fields have a flawless workout, you see Wilson have a flawless workout, and then you watch Mac not seemingly not on the same page as some of these guys. And you think to yourself, isn't this the guy that had the highest completion percentage in college football, three passing at a 75% completion rate this past season? So those things, you know, th- that kind of made me think a little bit. And I do think he's going to be the fifth guy off the board because of concerns like that. 
But I think Bill, you know, if anyone's going to work wonders with a guy like Mac, who's just a really smart guy that's pro-ready and understands processing, it's Bill Belichick and the Patriots. He's got a great mentor in Cam Newton there on the one-year deal who will most likely start the season even if they draft Mac Jones. But that's just great. I think it's a great uh, it's a great situation, and I think that could, uh, that could potentially be the way this thing falls for Mac Jones. Yeah, I think I think that would have to be the pick for the Patriots here, especially like it's good value. Like he could go three, we don't know, but um, yeah, Mac Jones. I think he's a good fit for that offense too, right? Like Mac Jones at Bama, I think he had one of the highest like short uh, like percentage of short passing game and like RPOs and all that. That's Bill, Bill Belichick has historically liked the short passing game, like with Brady, etc. And obviously, Bill is like super close with Saban. Everybody knows that, so he definitely has like the inside intel and track on Mac Jones. So, yeah, I think if he's there on the board, I think they make that pick and get their quarterback of the future. Yeah, yeah, I think they'll be um, I think they'll be pretty hyped if Mac Jones slides all the way to 15. It's funny because, like, some people have him going to the Panthers or Broncos or whatever, but, like, majority, he's either going 3 or 15, you know what I mean, which is, like, such a gap. So mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see. I've heard You'd also have to watch out for a team like the Bears or the football team to try and jump the Patriots here. So yeah. funny you say that, man, because I was my the thing I was about to say there, we butt heads when we were talking there for a second. I uh, I think if he doesn't go here at fifteen, the three teams that I had written down here to watch as potential suitors: the football team, the Bears, and then if somehow both of those teams pass, the Steelers. Those three teams would yeah, make yeah. sense. I think he gets taken at fifteen. But I totally agree that if he doesn't go at 15, those are the three picks to watch out for for Mac Jones. One wild card team you have to watch out for, I would have to say, would also be the Saints. Like in the past, we've seen them. They, they can be pretty aggressive to move up. I remember it was uh, Marcus Davenport. They traded up like 13, 14 spots, traded an extra first-round pick to move up for Davenport. And if, if Sean Payton has fallen in love with Mac Jones and he's sitting there at 13, 14, you got to believe he's going to pull that trigger and make that deal to get his quarterback. Like, I don't think Jameis is the future. I don't think Taysom's the future. I think they're on the lookout for that guy. And if they think it's Mac Jones, we'll see. Oh, Mike. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking some live news on the mock draft show. Wayne Gallman just signed in San Francisco. That sucks. Oh, disappointment for the Giants. Shanahan with Wayne Gallman? Oh. <laughs> I should mention though, like you guys were just talking about like a team leapfrogging the Pats for Mac Jones. I, I talked when Denver was picking about George Patton and how he loves to be involved in every deal. That philosophy was largely instilled in him during his time with the Minnesota Vikings. I think the Vikings, they've kind of let it be known through the past years that they want to be involved in all of the trade talks. So if someone's going to be, a, I guess, a trade target for one of those late, uh, late round teams you know whether it be the bears the football team or the steelers or even the saints as you said to come up i think vikings at 14 that pick before the patriots would probably be the one to get yeah so so that moves us to 16 the arizona cardinals two real glaring needs that i see right away when i look at that team cornerback wide receiver i would have loved to put caleb farley here if he didn't have back surgery but like People who talk about it being like a micro I don't I don't really know the fine the fine details of whatever surgery I'd done. I know it was like a little surgery. I do the you know the thing with my the bunny ears with my fingers as I say little. Because how can you call any back surgery little, right? It's back surgery. So it's like 
you can't understate the importance of health in the NFL and to have back surgery right before the draft when as an opt-out, you could have had the surgery a year ago and used all this time to rehab. Certainly a bit of a red, a red flag that likely drops his draft status a bit because he was in contention to be that first corner off the board. Now I don't even have him going here to a cornerback needy team in the Cardinals. I instead have them ending the slide of Jalen Waddle, finishing off the big three of the wide receivers, so to speak. He gets taken into a pretty much ideal situation with Kyler Murray as his quarterback in a pass-happy offense with Cliff Kingsbury. He has DeAndre Hopkins as the X taking up the majority of the uh, the defensive eyes, so to speak. He has Christian Kirk, who's kind of coming into his own after four, I think, four or five years in the league now. And A.J. Green on a one-year deal, too, as a veteran presence who can help contribute and really just shaping up that core that's really looking like a good core. I know they couldn't bring Fitzgerald back, which sucks. And this, I'm not sure, did they re-sign him yet? I don't think they have. But uh, but yeah, that's just gonna, that's a great situation for him. I think he'll be there for a long time because A.J. Green only one-year deal, as I said. So he'll get to take that big second-year step once he gets to move into that number two spot, assuming that he's going to start around the number three spot competing with like Christian Kirk or A.J. Green, whoever it works out to be. But Jalen Waddle to the cards at 16 seems to make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, like you said, I could see them maybe looking at wide receiver here, but like it doesn't really, uh, it's not a huge need for them at this point. Uh, with AJ Green coming in for one year, I totally even forgot that they signed AJ Green, to be honest. It, and it's funny, right? Because like AJ Green was obviously a stud when he was healthy, hasn't really done much in three to four years. But like, what I question with him is like, even if he does provide, it doesn't really fix the need, you could, if you want to call it that, because it's not really a glaring need. I agree with you, Sherm, but it is a need. That's the thing. Like, DeAndre Hopkins is obviously a phenomenal wideout, but in today's NFL, you don't get by with only one good wideout. It's good to have, like, at least two good wideouts, if not three good wideouts. So, you know, Christian Kirk, I believe, only has a year left, if not two, but not. I don't think he has a lot of time left on this deal. And AJ Green being an older guy... I think it probably makes sense to go get, you know, a potentially eight to 10 year wide out here in Jalen Waddle, who seems to be one of the, you know, widely projected to be a top guy, could even go before Devontae Smith from the sound of it. So I think it's it's partially a BPA pick, but it also seems to fit what they need to fill in terms of fulfilling their pass happy offense and giving Kyler the weapons. He doesn't really have a fast like Waddle that will really kind of put everything together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I let you go. No, I was I was gonna say. Yeah, I I think Jalen Waddle will be a great pick here. I mean, like every year we hear about like, oh, he's comparable to Tyreek Hill. Like this guy's compared like Tyreek Hill, but like I think Jalen Waddle might be the closest thing to Tyreek Hill. Kind of since Tyreek Hill, I mean, like his quick twitch is like insane. Like the way he can accelerate is like just crazy. Like you watch him play, and he's on like a different level. Um. Yeah, AJ Green doesn't have much longer in the NFL, I don't think. Um, AJ, uh, Christian Kirk, his contract's expiring soon, and I think I think Jalen Waddle would be a great fit to play opposite of DeAndre Hopkins. Their skill sets just like kind of go one and one together. And you mentioned Caleb Farley here, and I definitely think that'll be someone to consider. But yeah, that after this was a second back surgery, like that's something that affects you for like the rest of your life. It's not like oh, I just had back surgery, like be good to go soon. Like, that's something that he's going to have to deal with. And then uh, he had the other injury. What was it, his ankle? Or 
did something. He had he had another surgery or something. But yeah, he's he has those injury risks that go along with him. And like he has he had the potential to be the number one corner off this uh, in this draft. But I, I I think he slips and keeps slipping here. I'd love to add on to that because you hinted at it there. So Caleb Farley has a really cool story and it's upsetting that it's kind of taken this bad turn right now before draft day, but just to rewind on how Caleb Farley got to the position he's in. I believe he started out as a quarterback and ended up transitioning yeah. to a wide receiver when he was first at school. And then in his first, mm-hmm. his first year of training camp as a wide receiver, he tore his ACL. So that's what happened to him. He tore his ACL. Yeah. He had to recover from that. And then in his recovery from the ACL, he ended up transitioning again to corner. And then in his first year at corner, which was in, I believe, 2019 before his opt-out, he had like the best season of all corners in college football. He was the best after, you know, it was, his, it was literally his first year playing corner. So in terms of like the ceiling, he's mm-hmm. a huge ceiling. He's literally only played a year at corner, but he, he's a football guy, clearly going from quarterback to wide out to cornerback. But it's a tough situation with the injury history, but the upside's huge, and he's athletic. He ran super fast before his surgery, also, and uh, and I think whoever gets him is going to get a big, you know, a, a either go big or go home type of prospect who has the potential to come out on top of all the corners. I'd say I don't think it's a stretch to say that honestly, because he was looked at in that late before the surgery. It's really just a matter of if he can stay healthy. Yeah, that brings us here to the Raiders and. I had the Raiders taking, but when I had the when I had the Vikings taking pay in my pre mock mocks before this, I was thinking that the that Elijah Vera Tucker would be a really good fit for the Raiders at seventeen. Now that I've settled in on Elijah Vera Tucker for the Vikings at fourteen, I think the Raiders might have to, I don't want to say reach, but maybe reach a little bit on some people's boards and take the next best tackle available in Tevin Jenkins at 17. I know a lot of people see him as a 20s guy. I heard him around the Jets at 23, maybe even the Jaguars at 25. But I think the Raiders would like him at 17. He's a monster. He actually mauls guys. He's really, really strong. Put up, I think, 36 reps on the bench at his pro day. And he's one of those guys where when you watch him, he's obviously just like a monster 67 and loves to just bully guys super aggressive at the point of attack not as polished as some of the other guys right you'd like to see him be a bit quicker and run and run blocking because he's obviously a unit and it's not as easy to get around when you're 67 pushing 36 reps as a monster it's it's definitely a lot of weight to carry but that's one of those things that you'd like to see in terms of his development once he gets to this point in the NFL but i think He's he's a Gruden guy, honestly. He's one of those grinders that loves to get rough, definitely likes to finish people, and I know that's Gruden's style. And ultimately, that's kind of like the Raiders' style. They like to be like a hard-nosed running football team. And being a team that literally just scrapped apart their O-linemen, got rid of Rodney Hudson, got rid of Donald Penn, or no, it's, yeah, Donald Penn, and who else was it? They got rid of uh, Trent Brown. Not Trent Brown, sorry. Who was it? Do you guys remember? They just changed their line a little bit. They got rid of, like, everybody. Kalechi Simley. Kalechi Simley they got rid of. Yeah, like, they, they really made Rodney a, Hudson. Rodney, Rodney Hudson. Did you say, mention him? Yeah, no, I mentioned Hudson. I'm trying to... There, there must have been one other guy at tackle who's evading me. But I know three out of their five O-linemen from 2020 aren't going to be here in 2021. 
taking Tevin Jenkins to come in at tackle for a team that is really a run-oriented team because they like to use Derek Carr off of play action, and it really all comes down to running the ball through Josh Jacobs and now Kenyon Drake, who's going to be their one-two combo. So for a team that largely revolves around the run game, kind of decapitating the O-line was, or their O-line group was a bit of a questionable decision, but this is the first step in, I guess, making amends of that and recouping their strength, their prior strength in the group. So Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, pretty in- interesting guy. I don't know what you guys think about him. I'd like to hear it. Um, yeah, I think he's a great player, and I think he'd be a great pick for the Raiders. But I think, as you mentioned earlier, like there's a lot of depth to this class for the O-line. So I think they might – like their defense, they need a lot on defense. Like their linebacking core is not good. So I can see that being an option here. Maybe even D-line, who knows. But I, I, I don't think Kevin Jenkins would be a bad pick by any means. I think he's a great player who will come in and produce immediately on, a, on an offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great fit. I just, I just can't. It's way off topic, but I just can't believe that the Raiders tweeted that picture that they tweeted yesterday. Oh yeah, but um, and then left it up. Talk about that. I think it's a good fit. I was gonna say like I don't, I don't even want to like <laughs> say what they said. It's just, we shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. All I can say is that the Raiders are hiring in the social media department. <laughs> anyone would like to go fly. And uh, kudos to all the other NFL teams for not following that terrible lead that they put forth yesterday. So <laughs> to go back to it, I'm trying to look it up. Can't find who they cut. I know obviously Hudson was the big question mark, but there were a couple other guys that they had contributing. Uh, oh, it was, it was Trent Brown, but it wasn't that they cut him. It was that they traded him. They traded Trent Brown to the Pats, and then yeah. they Gabe Jackson. That's who it was. They cut Gabe Jackson, cut Rodney Hudson, traded Trent Brown. Tra- so traded old. Rodney Hudson, traded Rodney Hudson. Oh, yeah. They released him and then traded him after. Yeah, that was a weird one. I'm sure anyone who keeps up with the transactions knows why we're uh, kind of, you know, kind of scrambling on that one because that was a bit of a hectic day for the fucking Raiders with Rodney Hudson but mm-hmm. yes yeah, traded Rodney Hudson and Tevin Jenkins offensive tackle regrouping that so Dolphins here at 18 the, the first second pick of the draft <laughs> the first team to make their second appearance here with the Dolphins and the Dolphins you know it, it largely kind of revolves around how the first pick goes in my mind so they went offensive tackle with Panay at number six in my mock and they would have loved to take Waddle if Waddle slid to 18. He got taken by the cards at 16, so to no suffice. I think they're going to break the break the slump on these edge rushers here and take who a lot of people see as the number one edge rusher in Quiddy Pay out of Michigan. It's it's more of a traits with Quiddy Pay. Doesn't necessarily have the numbers that you'd love out of a guy that's uh, projected to be you know a top 15 to 20 edge rusher. But he certainly has traits. He certainly has a, a skill set in terms of his physical abilities. And it's more so about molding him into whatever you'd like him to be, whether it be, uh, you know, an edge rusher in a 3-4 or, you know, make him bulk up and play D. I, don't, I see him as more of a true pass rusher. We'll have to see how he develops. But um, he's definitely one of those guys that's going to fit the high-flying, fast defensive scheme that Miami has. Really bursts onto the scene last year, as you guys know, with a really out-of-nowhere good defense, and that'll be a great addition to take that to the next step. Yeah, 
I think I think Quiddy Pay would be a great pickup here for for the Dolphins. I mean, it's basically the, he reminds me a lot of Brandon Graham coming out. Both Michigan guys, they're not not necessarily the most sacks, but they get a lot of pressure, and they're always they're uh, uh, what's the word? They're 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 a force in the, in the backfield, like on almost every play. Like they're 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 not necessarily the fastest guys, but they're gonna they're make they make their presence known. Um, another option here could be uh, Jalen Phillips, who a lot of people think might be might have been a top five six pick, if not for his concussion history. But I think Quiddy Pay is still a great pick, and I could see him going as high as ten. And I I don't I can't see him falling farther than eighteen at all. So I think it's a good pickup by them. Yeah, going off what you just said, Ty, I think I think this position like edge is definitely a good pick for their second pick in the in the first round, and I think Quiddy Pay is definitely a solid pick here if they fall to him. Jalen Phillips would be like kind of the um, the riskier pick, I guess, with a, a higher upside for sure. But hands out, but mm. obviously the concussion history is both Miami edge rushers are huge. Like I don't want to say like I hate calling guys like boomer bust, but it's like those guys have big question marks while also having like huge upside. Like Jalen Phillips, I'm sure a lot of you guys who are listening know about his story, but one of the most heavily recruited high school guys in his class. I think he was the number one defensive guy, number three overall coming out of high school, and then ends up having to medically retire with UCLA after having like three concussions. He ends up transferring to Miami after getting cleared by their medical staff and absolutely broke out in 2020 to the point where now a lot of people think he would have been a top five, top 10 guy had it not been for his injury history. Obviously concussions are one of those really weird injuries where it's like you could go 15 years and not get another one and be like a hall of fame type guy or you could get one concussion and like it's it's one of those injuries with when you're working with the brain obviously your brain's very at one of the more sensitive you know elements to your body in terms of how much damage you can take and with regards to concussions and stuff so obviously you know one hit two hits to the head and it's you know that can do a lot of damage to someone who's already had that concussion history so that's you know going to be one of the biggest question marks in the draft for sure he comes up soon so we'll be talking about him soon so i'll i'll delay till then but quitty pay is who i have going first for the edge guys but as you've alluded to there ty and ben it definitely could end up going the other way i'm going to keep it as pay as the first guy off the board here at 18 though and that takes us to the football team so the last in year division we got an Eagles fan here. We got a Giants fan here. So I'm sure you guys are going to be listening to what I have for the football team. Ultimately, picking a lot later than the other three teams because they had the chance to make the playoff run. That you know was uh, they gave the Bucks pretty much the best run that any team did. So I got to give them credit. Heineke earned his new contract because he played a great game. But it's not about that. It's about the draft here. And I think they're going to take the second best linebacker on the board. And JOK Jeremiah Owusu Kuromoa. If I hit that right, I think that was, that was pretty good. And uh, he's uh, he's coming off of the, uh, I think it's the Butkus Award, right? Nation's best linebacker. Um, he's really just like a phenomenal player. He had a great season this year. I'd say he's pretty much a consensus number two in terms of the linebacker rankings. A lot of people love uh, Micah, but I think JOK is one of the great linebackers in this draft as well. And I think it's good value, honestly. It also fits a major team need. When you look at that Washington defense, a really good front four, I'd say, and a pretty good secondary just lost Ronald Darby to the Broncos. But aside from that, a really good secondary. 
And JOK is going to fill that gap they have at linebacker. That's pretty much the one outstanding element of their defense that should allow them to, you know, flourish into, I'd say, like a top 10 defense, if not even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's a no same player. And I'm, I know you brought up uh, Isaiah Simmons earlier when talking about Michael Parsons, but I think that truly the closest thing to Isaiah Simmons in this class is uh, Jeremiah Wusukurma. Or, I don't know how to say it. JOK. <laughs> I think I like if you look at his snap count at uh, Notre Dame. He played. He, he's played outside corner. He's played safety. He's played uh, slot corner. He's played like Mike linebacker. He's played Sam linebacker. Like he can he can play all over the field, and he's truly like a good just like jackknife piece, like jack of all trades. Um, I think Ron Rivera would love to add a guy like him to the team. But the thing is, I don't think he can. I don't think he has the size to play Mike in the NFL. You're more looking at him as like a Sam type linebacker, or maybe even like like a, a hybrid safety linebacker role. You see guys playing more now with like Keanu Neal transitioning in that role with the Cowboys or uh, John Buchanan. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be a great pickup by them. Ron Rivera would love to have him. But I, I do think they also have to take a good long look at what O-linemen are on the board at this pick. Like, I know you have a ton of O-linemen going before this, so this would, and they, he falls to them. So be a good pickup, but like, say, say a guy like Darisaw or Jenkins falls to them. Like, I think they, they might have to, especially like that left tackle position is, is a huge need for them right now. That's a great point because as, as you just said with my mock, like I have a lot of these top O-linemen going in the, really the top 17 with Tevin Jenkins rounding it out there with the Raiders. And for a lot of teams, like you said, the football team, the Jets as well, even the Steelers, teams that could probably use one of these O-linemen if they slid that far that aren't going to get the chance based off of how I think these things will go. But, you know, say it turns out oppositely and some of these guys are available, whether it be Tevin Jenkins or Elijah Vera Tucker, even Darisaw maybe, I think those are some teams to watch for sure when it comes to scooping up those O-linemen because I don't see them sliding past, you know, the mid-20s to those teams I just referenced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Washington's got a very, very, very good football team as of right now. And like you guys said, there's only a few positions that they'd probably go, like linebacker, O-line, maybe even like a receiver. I saw a mock yesterday that had them taking ETN, which I think is kind of crazy at this point because we saw him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, JOK would definitely be a good fit for them. Um, I wouldn't want to see it, but I can see it happening. And uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that, honestly, because he's a great player. As I said, pretty much the nation's best linebacker this past season, if you ask the people who voted for the Buckus Award. So there's not much selling we need to do there. It's a great value pick. I could see him going earlier, even the pick before this, actually, to the Dolphins, because the Dolphins need a linebacker, too. So don't rule that out. But um, yeah, JOK19. Let's move to the Bears here. The Bears needed a cornerback, and then they cut Kyle Fuller, and now they really need a cornerback. So they're going to be happy that Caleb Farley slides to them here at 20. I think, you know, a lot of people think he might slide even further because back surgery is serious. But the upside's huge with Farley. I don't need to keep stressing about it because we've talked about it every time corner's been a point of discussion here. Farley's really a tremendous player that should fit the scheme that they go with there pretty well because it allows him to capitalize on a lot of those athletic traits that have got him to this point because he's going to get to sit back a lot of the... I know they like to run 
some cushion zone coverages there where you get to run around the field and trust your eyes a little. And that should help a guy that's played quarterback, wideout, and cornerback who has a great understanding for route concepts, past progressions, stuff like that. So I think Farley's, you know, I had him in contention for the number one before the surgery in terms of my cornerbacks. To get him as the third cornerback off the board's pretty good, and I think it fits the Bears' needs tremendously. So Caleb Farley at 20 in the Bears. Yeah, I think that's a great pick by them. I mean, I think we can all agree the Bears' two biggest needs are quarterback and cornerback. And with all the QBs being off the board and them not trading up, I think Caleb Farley would be a great pick up for them. But if they are just like worried about the back surgery, there are like a bunch of other corners they could look at, like there's Asante Samuel Jr. Greg Newsome, even Eric Stokes, who ran like a four two nine at his pro day. Like those are all guys who we could see pushing up into the first round with Farley continuing to fall. And it'll be something to look for on draft day. Hundred percent. Yeah, I was just gonna say I think corner's definitely a smart pick here. I think they could go receiver and take like a Bateman, uh, Tony, or more. Because um, like Andy Dalton's gonna need some help. Obviously, they got a few guys, but. It's Andy Dalton at the end of the day. So um, we'll see. I think corners definitely the smarter pick. I want to mention this because you just brought it up. I think there could be, similar to last year, a run at the start of the second round, which isn't a part of this mock, so I, we're not going to get into it too much. But I think there could be a run at the start of the second for running backs and wide receivers. As a little uh, disclaimer, I don't have any running backs going in this first round of my mock. I know some people disagree with that think maybe Najee Harris will make the first round. Ultimately, I've decided that I don't think any of them will, but I definitely would say to watch out right at the start of that second round because I could definitely see whether it be through a trade-up or just the teams that are slotted to pick there, a couple wideouts off the board, a couple running backs off the board. And I think by really by Denver's pick at 40, you should see a few of those running backs off the board because I think Denver's a team that could be eyeing running back at 40. And I do think that by the time we pick, a bunch of those running backs could already be off the board. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we got the Colts here as the 21st pick. And the way I saw it, there were really two big needs for the Colts, the pass rush and their corners. And I think they would have liked Farley and they could go Newsom. I could see Newsom as the pick here. But I ultimately decided that they're going to end the run here on Jalen Phillips, a guy with huge upside and definite injury concerns. But, you know, with a prospect like that, who's kind of put it all together right when it matters most in the year before he declares, coming off, I think, nine and a half sacks in addition to, you know, great grading from PFF and just like an all around productive year and pretty much every metric that I could find. He's one of those guys that's really uh, rising due to how he's being able to put things together. And I know some of the injury stuff scares some teams. Hopefully, uh, Frank Wright and company can keep him healthy and put him in a situation where he can team up with Justin Houston coming off uh, re-signing, I think, on a one-year deal and put together a little pass rush tandem for the Colts that I think will uh, will serve to, to fit them nicely because they were a team that competed in the playoffs and had a pretty good offense with Phillip Rivers as their QB. Now, you know, they're going to they're gonna have um, – who's their QB now? Carson? Yeah, Carson's their QB. And uh, and they really just need to put together a all around team that can compete on both sides of the ball. And I think getting a pass rush is going to help. I was deciding between which edge I thought was going to go here. And I just ended up deciding on Phillips because I think he earned it, to be honest. Yeah, I think if Jalen Phillips is on the board at 21, that could be a great 
great value pickup, which I've been saying a lot today. But like, as we mentioned earlier, like if he didn't have the injury history, he might he might be a top five pick in this draft. Like he's that good. Like he made Gregory Rousseau, who some see as a first round pick or at least an early second round pick, uh, like he outplayed him like by a noticeable margin. Um, but I think one thing you also have to look out here for the Colts is an offensive tackle. If there's one there that they like, I mean, Anthony Costanzo just retired, so they don't have a left tackle right now. And I think, I think that might be the biggest need on their team right now. I mean, they don't have a left tackle on the roster. So it's definitely something to look out for. If uh, Kevin Jenkins or someone like Darisaw or even the, the, the Texas guy who I still can't remember his name right now, but if he's there, I think that's someone else they have to look at. Is it but, the Redoon uh, guy? Huh? Is it that Radunes guy? I can't remember his name. It's like Dylan Radunes? No, 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 no. It starts with like his last name starts with an O, I think. Well, the Longhorns guy. Oh, oh, Osai? Osai. Is it Osai? I'll look up top O line. You guys can keep going. I was just going to say the Colts are like a very win now team. I mean, we'll see how Wentz plays this year, but like as a whole, as a football team, like I think they're one of the more complete teams in the league as a whole, to be honest. So I could see them going edge. Jalen Phillips would be an interesting pick. They could go like Olojuari from uh, Georgia would maybe be like a safer pick at edge because you're not really dealing with the risk of the concussions and all that. Not having a left tackle. I didn't really know that. That's important. Um, but like you said, it's a deep tackle class, so maybe they get one in the later rounds. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think edge makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, I got the, I got the day two O tackles on the board here, at least as I see it, day two O tackles. There's like, uh, we got Alex, um, Alex Leatherwood. Um, I think the other Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. And then the guy you were referencing, Ty, I think is Sam Cosme, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Sorry. those guys. Who's yeah, those guy? Where did I get that name from? Pardon? Who's Osai? Where did I get that? Did I just come up with that name? I feel like that's a real person. There's a lot of like that's what I'm trying to say. There's a lot of linemen. Like there are there really are some like a lot of guys that are projected like day two, day three, even some guys that might be you know end day one. But I don't really see them as end of day one. I, I agree with you now that uh, I think. With a Constanzo retirement, like they they could use an O lineman, but I think here at twenty one with the guys on the board, like any of the available O linemen would be such a reach at twenty one. I think like unless you were going interior O lineman, then then you could maybe go Landon Dickerson. Yeah. But I don't really think they need an interior. They need a tackle. That's not a really need for them. Yeah. Also, Joe, I just looked up Joseph Joseph Asai is the the Longhorns D end, which is why I got confused there. So, yeah. Clarified. All good, all good. So that leads us here to the Titans at 22. In the Titans at 22, this was actually one of the picks that through this entire pre-draft process, I've left unchanged. It just seems to make sense. You know, might not happen. Makes sense in my eyes. Rashad Bateman, wide receiver, just lost Corey Davis, who had probably the best year of his entire tenure with the Titans after being their selection fifth overall, I think, four or five years ago. So now the, the onus is on AJ Green or sorry uh, AJ Brown to lead their wide receiver corps and he's looked fantastic through his first two years played really good last season and supposedly did it on like a fucked up foot which is even crazier when you see the numbers mm-hmm. up so expect big things from AJ Brown in year three but I think it would be awesome to get someone to pair opposite side him a guy like Rashad Bateman 
who has really, I'd say, there's a lot of mixed reviews. I see him as an early, or I see him as a late first, but I've seen some people who think he's early second. But I think he slots in nicely here to the Titans and should help relieve some of the, uh, some of the, I guess, extra attention that teams are going to have to pay to AJ Brown. So it's a good situation. They really only have one good wideout that like stands off the board with AJ Brown, considering they didn't sign anyone in free agency. So let me know what you guys think of that one. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that pick for the Titans. Obviously, they have they have a lot of holes after the offseason they had. I mean, they lost their two starting corners. They lost their starting receiver. Like they lost they lost a lot of talent. But I think Rashad Bateman would be like the best pick they could make here. They could go with some one of the corners if they if they really like him. But Rashad Bateman, I think it goes like you obviously have the top three receivers, and there's a gap, and then there's Rashad Bateman, and then there's another gap before you get to the next tier receivers. I think he's kind of like in between that second and first grouping of receivers you have there. So I think getting him at 22 would that would be a great pick. And like as an Eagles fan, if he keeps sliding past the Titans pick, I would love for them to try and make a move back from 37 into the first round to try and get Rashad Bateman on that. Uh, like if we go corner with with that fifth year option to lock him up, I think that'd be a, a great move by the Eagles. If he falls, I, I don't see them trading up to 22 if he continues to slide a bit more though. Yeah, the great pick by the Titans there. I agree with you though. Like Rashad Bateman is one of those guys, and we've seen it in the past years. If you want to talk about last year's draft, similar in the sense that they're both pretty deep at wideout. This year, a bit more slot guys compared to last year that had a bit more of the X type guys. But when you look at mm. how it's played out, there were you know three, seemingly I know it didn't work out this way, but last year it was the three big guys in you know uh, Judy, CD, and Rugs. Rugs, you know, probably not is probably not going to pan out to the same uh, extent that CD and Judy will. But then there's the guys like Jefferson who were, you know, pretty much. No, no bias in that statement. No bias in that statement. A little bit of bias in that statement, obviously. But um, <laughs> when you look at guys, well, I'm, I'm sure you guys would agree with me here in the sense that uh, we all yeah, kind of no, no. the big three, right? Like before the draft, at least I, I'll, come, I'll uh, call myself out for being guilty of that. Like I referred to, Judy Ruggs and CD is the big three when, you know, pretty clearly now Justin Jefferson's one of, if not the best as it currently stands. So, um, when you talk about the tiers, you know, a lot of it's being able to project how they're going to, how they're going to translate. Right. Because obviously I don't want to make you stress about this because we're only one year in, but like you look at guys like Jalen Rager who got taken like a pick before Jefferson or a guy like Ruggs who got taken before all of the wideouts available in the draft. And you think to yourself, like, a lot of it's scheme fit, but a lot of it's also, I guess, gauging how, how I guess, pro-ready they are in terms of if they're going to contribute in year one and fit right into a system. And I think if someone's going to come into that Titan system where it's super reliant on A.J. Brown as it currently is, Rashad Bateman would be, would be a great guy to come into a pretty much a playoff-caliber team with a, I guess maybe, you know, you mentioned the corner, so maybe not a playoff-caliber team anymore, but borderline playoff-caliber and uh, and contribute in their offensive department. So I think it's a, it's a no-brainer, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's wide receiver corner for them. And uh, obviously, Greg Newsom would be someone to consider here. Uh, most people have him as the fourth corner, so the best guy available in that positional group. I think they pass. And then the next pick here, the Jets at 23, an abundance of areas that they could fill just drafted Zach Wilson as their quarterback number two based off of how I have things going. And, you know, we referenced when we were talking about Zach, how you want to protect Zach. It'd be great to get an offensive lineman here. 
But although linemen went so high, right, I would have loved to mock Tevin Jenkins here if he was available at 23, but I don't mm-hmm. think he would be. And that leads me to think that they're going to uh, address the defensive side of the ball here at 23, and they're going to get Greg Newsom the next best corner. That's a glaring hole on the Jets' defense. They have no corners, and they have a really bad defense, honestly. So if they want to shore up their team, they have a lot of draft picks over the next two years, and it's a class that's pretty deep in the uh, in the offensive line category. You get your quarterback at two. You get Greg Newsom, who had a, who had a truly tremendous pro day, in this, uh, in this draft process at number 23, and then you go into D2 looking for your O-lineman. I think that's a pretty good draft for the Jets. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, the corners, it kind of just comes down to preference between, like, Asante Samuel Jr. and, uh, like you were saying, Greg Newsom, and uh, I believe the Georgia corner is kind of around there, too. What's his name? Uh Tyson Campbell. So, yeah, we will see. Ty, what do you think about Newsom of the Jets? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think Newsom's a great pick. I, I think he's a stud who's been rising up draft boards a lot lately. Um, I would have loved him to see him fall into the early second, but I think it'd be a great pick for the Jets. I mean, they have so many needs on that team. They could go edge here. They could go O-line if one falls. They could go corner. Like, uh, like so I, I really don't know. Where, they could even go running back. Like, who knows where they could go? But uh, I do think Newsom would be a good pick here. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you that they have so many holes. I think running back would be a little foolish considering how many picks they have in the draft and the fact that they could probably get one with their second round pick. And if they are concerned about that, they could probably trade up into the upper portion of the second round to secure a guy. I agree with what you said about edge though. I think offensive tackle would probably be the number one priority of theirs, but based off of Mm -hmm. how I have things falling, it doesn't seem like any of them are going to be on the board. Then it brings me to corner, which is why I had Newsom. But if they decide to opt against corner, I could definitely see an edge guy going here, whether it be yeah, like Odilari here would be a good pick. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that brings us to the Saints, or sorry, the Steelers. I kind of just spoiled it there because it's my second mock trade. I only have two mock trades. This is my second mock trade. I I think the Steelers they would have loved to get Newsom. I think they probably thought that they were going to get Newsom at twenty four. And then the Jets, they run to Newsom at 23 and absolutely cuck the Steelers out of getting their corner. And it's a pretty, and the Steelers are a cornerback needy team. And they're looking at the board. They probably would have liked to go O-lineman here. But they can trade back and probably get their O-line. Because as I've been kind of saying, there's a lot of and I don't really see anyone who's calling to be taken within the, uh, the four-pick gap between the Steelers and the Saints. So I have the Saints trading up to 24. I have the Steelers trading back to 28 and getting the 105th overall selection for doing so. So the Saints trade up and they'd select one of the hardest projections in the entire draft process. The other edge rusher out of Miami, Greg Rousseau. Opt out, didn't play this past season, but he had 15 and a half sacks in 2019. That's a lot of sacks. Jason Owe, another guy that's projected to go first round by a lot of people, this past season had zero sacks, to put it in context. So these, like, the, the proof's in the pudding with a, with a lot of this stuff, and I like film. I know pro days matter to some people more so than they do to others, and I watch all the pro days myself, I can't lie. But the fact that Russo looked a little stiff with a pro day isn't the biggest concern to me. He's one of those guys that kind of had a lot of 
a lot of skepticism thrown toward him because he's a six seven edge rusher that a lot of people thought was kind of skinny in 2019 when he put up 10 and a half sacks. He responds by spending his opt-out year putting on 25 pounds to bulk up. And now the narrative pretty much flip-flops. Everyone thinks he's a little stiff, a little big, and a little rusty around the edge when he was running around at his pro day. Didn't run as fast as some people thought he might have ran. But I think the Saints would love to recoup their pass rush because they don't really have as good of a pass rush as they would like for being a one of those teams that's always like a fringe playoff team that's never really been able to take that next step getting to the championship game or getting to the Super Bowl. And I think that's one of the big needs on their team. He's one of those go big or go home guys we've been talking about. I think they trade up, they get Rousseau, and that kind of puts an end to the where will Rousseau go talk. I know a lot of people don't even have him as a first rounder. The 15 and a half stacks just screams to me. His frame screams athleticism, 6'7". What more can I say? You can't teach stuff like that. I, he's my guy there at 24, I can't lie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny how um, up and down Gregory Rousseau's stock has gone in the past like month or so. Even a couple, like at, at the start of the draft, the mock process, I saw him like, being mocked to the Giants, and I was like, God, I, I don't want this to happen. And now, like like you said, a lot of people don't even have him going in the first round. So it's interesting, for sure. Um, I think it would be a good fit for the Saints. The Saints uh, definitely kind of need that type of player. Um, I just kind of feel bad for the Saints, to be honest, but that's just another topic for another day. I feel like they should have won at least one Super Bowl in the past four years. Would you guys say, though, like you guys have watched – almost every NFL game that's happened in the past, you know, five seasons. But let's just talk about the past season or two. The Saints' pass rush hasn't been what you would expect from, like, a Super Bowl team. You look at the Bucks, well, who won this they, they, they were They were second in the league in sacks this past season. This past season? Yeah. I was going to say, I think they were pretty good this past season. Yeah, they, they had the top-ranked front seven in the NFL this past season. Who do they – they run a 4-3, right? Who yeah. are their DNs? Do you know? uh, it was Cam Jordan at one end, and then Marcus Davenport and Trey Hendrickson swapped subbing at the other end. Mm. Yeah, because I, uh, so I, I actually, I actually really don't like this pick, but by, by the Saints, if they go Rousseau here, I think they have a lot more glaring needs, specifically uh, a number two corner, number number two wide receiver right now. Um, with the loss of Janoris Jenkins, they don't really have anybody outside of Marshawn Lattimore, and now he's dealing with legal trouble. So who knows what's going to happen there? And then wide receiver, they have Michael Thomas and then Traquan Smith. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders is gone. So they, they, they have two glaring needs at two important positions on the football field. And I definitely think they, they would have to go with one of those picks in the first round. I don't, I don't think Rousseau was a good pick by them, especially with Davenport. They probably will be looking to re-sign long-term soon. I think he has this fifth-year option next year, the following year after that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I had thought that Davenport was an interior guy and that Cam Jordan was the deep was playing on the outside. I'm incorrect about that though, right? He's playing on yeah, the outside. They're both they're both the ends. They're both the ends. Okay, so I might they had, need a, they had, uh, they had Malcolm Brown, Sheldon Rankins, and Shy Tuttle on the interior. I uh, it's a little I'm not gonna flip flop because I locked in on Russo here. But considering that I mis, uh, mis-evaluated there, thinking that Davenport was on the inside, I should mention while I'm on the while I'm on the clock here that one guy to watch out for if the, if what's Ty is saying is all accurate 
I think Christian Barmore, if that's true, and they have both of their outside guys, I could definitely see them shoring up the inside because the Saints, like, in second is an easy area to point to if you want to point to corner, but the fact that Newsom just got taken makes me think that they're going to reach if they take any of the other corners by trading up. Maybe they could stay put at 28 and take a corner there, but I'm going to stick with Rousseau, but I like Barmore, too, as a D-tackle to potentially just shore up the middle. And I, I mentioned sacks, and you completely proved me wrong there by referencing how they uh, were second in the league in sacks. But one thing I should mention about Barmore is that when you're a D-tackle and you're kind of like a run-stopping force like that, your uh, production is not necessarily calculated by the sacks, right? It's more like the impact you're having just as like a presence in the middle. And I think he's a guy that could potentially provide that to them as well. So look out for him if it's not Rousseau. Uh, one player, if, if they're trading up to here, it probably means they're trying to jump a team, I would assume. So one team I see them jumping over in your, your mock is the Ravens. And I think Terrace Marshall to the Saints would be a really good pick. The Louisiana connection went to LSU. It's about 30 minutes down the road. He's a, he's a good player. Play, play him opposite of Michael Thomas. He has He's more of a, like a deeper threat kind of guy. Like he, I think he ran like 4-3-8 or something, but he's, he could play that like X receiver that, and have Michael Thomas play more out of the slot. It'd be a good fit. And uh, I, I, I didn't really mention this because I talked this whole time about why the Saints want to move up. But I should have mentioned this whole idea came to me because of what I initially thought was a desire from the Steelers to move down. Because I, I referenced how Newsom went 23 there, and I think that kind of put a wrench in the Steelers' plans. I don't see the Steelers trading down if Newsom's on the board. They need a cornerback mm-hmm. too badly. So I think they're you know running that ballot in if, fucking, if Newsom's available at 24. But I think because Newsom got taken the pick before, they're going to be the the aggressors, I guess you could say, in terms of trading back because they need O line, and I think they're going to be able to get O line at twenty eight where they move down to. But let's uh, let's move closer to that. I got the Jaguars here at twenty five. Another one of those picks that really has gone unchanged throughout this whole process. Their second selection after selecting Trevor Lawrence first overall. I think Trevon Morig, the top safety on the board, is due for sure to go here, if not sooner. I've been hearing. Some talk about him potentially going as early as 17 to the Raiders. I think he makes it all the way here to 25 and really walks into a perfect situation where he's going to be a day one starter contributing to a defense that needs a safety really badly and has a ton of you know potential in the sense that they're getting their franchise quarterback who's seemingly going to be around for 10 to 15 years and are likely a team that will be on the rise as the as the years progress. So I think Mo Riggs going into a pretty ideal situation here for a safety and He's going to be the one and only safety off the board in the first round. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. You're the number one safety on pretty much consensus number one safety by everybody. Um, it's a need for the team, and uh, he's a good player. He's rangy. He can come up and play in the box, too. It's just an all-around good safety. So I think that's a great pick by the Jags here. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. I don't have much to add. I got the Browns next, and the Browns, I was thinking about a trade-up for this pick, and then I went through my mock, and the guy that I thought they were going to trade-up for ended up sliding right to them at 26, so no need for the trade-up. They're going to take a pro-day stud out of Kentucky, Jamin Davis, linebacker. Guy was flying. Mm -hmm. He was flying around his pro-day, and he's a specimen physically. I think they were doing, uh, PFF does their like superlatives for uh, players in a certain positional group, and 
says what they think about guys. Micah Parsons was like best blitzer or whatever. I remember what they put for Jamin Davis, best athlete. And honestly, like hard to argue that. I know Mike is a sweet athlete also, but when you watch Jamin Davis, that's like what just screams off the TV when you're watching him. He's just flying around, ton of potential, and entering a situation here with the Browns where they've got a really like good setup, a really good offense, run-heavy team, so they don't have to put a ton of stress on the defense considering that they're running the clock a lot up by running the ball. And they've a pretty good pass rush in terms of their front four. It's really just the linebackers where they need to improve a little. They got safe or they got, they got the corners. Now they got safeties through free agency, Josh Johnson, and they have Grant Delpit coming back and they've got um, obviously Denzel Ward at corner, but I think now Greedy Williams also coming back from injury. So like, they've got options there in the secondary linebacker was the one position that really stood out for the Browns to me. And I think they're going to be thrilled that Jim and Davis went all the way to 26 here for them. Yeah, I, I love that pick by the, by the Browns. Um, I mean, for the first time in, since I've been alive, the Browns have very few, if any, needs compared to what we're used to. Um, and yeah, Jamin Davis, athletic stud. For the longest time, I actually had Zayden Collins over him. But like with his pro day, it's kind of hard to justify that anymore. So yeah, I think I think they definitely go linebacker here. And I definitely think they go with, depending who they have graded higher with uh, Davis or Collins. I like, I like either of them to the Browns. Yeah, I think this makes a lot of sense. I know they had uh, one of my guys, B.J. Goodson, on the linebacker core uh, from the Giants, but I'm I'm reading it right now. I think he might be a free agent, to be honest. So uh, would definitely be a uh, a good uh, fill in for him. And it's like we said, it's one of the uh, few needs for the Browns, which is funny to say. Yeah, like we, we pretty much hit the nail on the head there. No need to continue. Ravens, this is an interesting one. And I, I want to hear your guys' opinions on this. And feel free to, you know, let loose on me if you disagree with my pick. Because I flip-flopped a lot here. So I, I know I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm going to beat myself up over it. Because Mach 35, I'll have gotten it right. And Mach 72, I will end up getting it wrong. But uh, I, I'm going to have them taking a wide out here. And it's tough. Because part of me felt like they could get this guy that they're going to take. In the second round, if they trade it up into the start of the second round, and they and initially I thought they might go edge here, whether it be like Rousseau or Ojolari or one of those guys to shore up the defense. But it, I'm not. I'm only doing a first round mock, and it was tough because the need is just glaring, right? Like you watch that team, and they're unbelievable running the ball, and they're going to continue to improve with you know uh, with um, obviously Lamar doing what he does but also with J.K. Dobbins taking that next step, going from a rookie to a sophomore in the league and kind of getting the full uh, the full workload with Gus Edwards, who's also a phenomenal running back for being a number two, honestly. I have nothing but good things to say about Gus Edwards after watching a bunch of his film. So I think they're going to go and they're probably going to go wide out here. I have Kadarius Toney, who a lot of people think is the best yak receiver in the class. Really a phenomenal guy after the catch you watch and run around. And really all of his highlights are him running after the catch. And that's an impressive trait to have in today's NFL. Reminds you of guys like Debo Samuel who just run around and really just find a way to bounce off of guys despite being, you know, wide receivers taking hits from safeties and linebackers and stuff like that. He's uh, he's really uh, he's impressive, really, uh, really an impressive guy. And that's why I'm going number 27 addresses a major need and could buy to be their number one wide end, considering how poor their wide receiving corpse is, honestly, with uh, 
Hollywood Brown really being their main guy right now. So what do you guys think of that? Yeah, I, I think if the Ravens don't come out of these first two rounds with a wide receiver, there might be riots in Baltimore. So I, I think they're, this is definitely a good pick. Like the, there's so many receivers here. Of it. Like you go Marshall, you can go Tony, a guy like Elijah Moore, maybe Bateman if he falls, but I definitely think they have to come, come out of here with one of those guys. Uh, Lamar needs help. I mean, Marquise Brown's good. He's not great. Um, their number two receiver last year who was the Willie Sneed. Is he, is he the number two there? Yeah, and like Dez and like. Um, yeah, Dez. Dez. Dez yeah, should not be your number two receiver at this point. There's also Boykin, too, right? Boykin. Yeah, yeah okay. You're, you're kind of proving the point here. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. No, they need receiver help, so I love that pick by them. I think Tony, you said? Yep, Kadarius uh, Tony, Florida. Yeah, he, great route runner, great after the catch. Um, yeah, I think he'd be a good fit in Baltimore. Um, run blocking, kind of questionable. So I could see them leaning for one of those bigger guys like Bateman or Marshall if they're there. But uh, Tony would be a great fit for the passing game. But um, yeah, receiver, they got to go receiver here. Like, I think so. And I think there's something to be said about how like great of a fit the yak ability of Tony would be with the offense of the Ravens because mm-hmm. the threat that they post to you in terms of the run game to just have the throwing option where instead of having to rely on you know Lamar to make the picture perfect throw downfield, you have more of a wide mm-hmm. open. Really, the goal is just to get the ball in his hands and then let him kind of do the magic in terms yep. of you know, the, the yards after the catch and whatnot. I think it fits really well. So I think that would yeah, be a, for sure. a great situation. That's, that's a good perspective. I was just thinking, like, I think they should go receiver. I think Tony's a great player. I was just thinking, like, with Lamar, his accuracy being, you know, not the best thing. He's already got Marquise Brown, who's not a big receiver at all. And then Tony's not a big receiver. Like, you want to give him a target to throw the ball. Obviously, Mark Andrews is a great target for him to throw the ball to. But, like, the smaller the receiver is, the better throw Lamar has to make. But, like you said, if it's like a screen pass or something like that, get him the ball early. It's a lot better. Yeah, like I've seen Terrace Marshall is one guy who's mocked to the Ravens for reasons that you just said, sure. Personally, I don't see him as a first-round guy. I think if anyone's going to sneak in as the fifth wideout here, it's going to be Tony. I'd set my over-under for wideouts at four and a half because ultimately I think if Tony doesn't go here, there isn't going to be any wideouts in the first after this point. I know the Packers are one spot we could look at because that's a talking point every single year with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams being the only two guys there. But I, I do think the Packers go elsewhere, and I think really the Ravens are the only team where it's screaming at me, you must go wide out. And I think they will, but we'll see. It brings us here to my uh, second portion of my mock trade here. I had the, the Saints moving up to 24 to get Rousseau. Now I have the Steelers moving down to 28, and I have them getting the guy who I initially had them getting at 24, to be honest with you. I thought they were going to take Landon Dickerson at 24 if Greg Newsom goes off the board to the Jets. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized I, I think they can still get him by moving down a few spots. And teams really value getting those extra picks in the third and the fourth because, you know, th- those do have a you know, a decent chance of turning into a satisfied, you know, a, a serviceable player, even a star player in some circumstances. So it's a good situation. They get 105 by doing that, and they move down to 28 and get the same guy they would have gotten. Landon Dickerson can play center or guard. Serious injury history 
obviously coming off of the ACL and his, uh, his, I, I, it's not his most recent game because technically he came into the national championship or something to take that one snap when he dressed, but really his last game was when he tore his ACL and that's obviously a concern and ACLs are a big deal. So I don't want to underplay that. He's just a uh, really, he seems to have rehabbed well. I'm sure you guys saw the cartwheels at Matt Jones. Yeah. I, and I like his film. That's really what it came down to. I liked his, uh, his play style and I thought he deserves to go into the situation where the Steelers need an interior offensive lineman, being a team that really kind of prided themselves on the run game and then really just evaded from that in the past few seasons going into this, you know, pass-happy offense with Roethlisberger that really hasn't worked out when it came to crunch time. I think they would like to really fix up their running game and provide more of a balanced attack. I could imagine them going Landon here at 28 and then also targeting a running back in the second round. So keep your eyes out for that. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people um, mock Najee Harris to the Steelers at this pick, but I, I think, like you just said, I think it makes a lot more sense to draft Landon Dickerson or someone in the trenches because, honestly, it doesn't matter who's running behind that O-line. They can't really run at this point. So. Yeah, I think Landerson, uh, Landon Dickerson would be a great pick. I mean, he's an athletic specimen at the center position. Um, but as you mentioned, like injuries are a risk. Like he has yet to play a full season of college football. Every single season has ended with a season ending injury. So that's definitely something that teams are going to look into. And I think it could drop him out of the first round or at least to the back of this first round where you have him go. But yeah, as Ben mentioned, running back is going to be an option here, but if they think a guy they like is going to be there in the second round, they, they can wait it out and take an alignment here. That brings us to the Packers and you know, the Packers are always a talking point on draft night because everyone wants them to get help for Aaron Rodgers, and rightfully so, right? Because he's been kind of carrying for a lot of his career with the Packers, and Devontae Adams is probably, as it stands, the best wide receiver in the league. But that you, as I said earlier when we were talking about wide receivers, yeah, in the current NFL, you don't want one good wide receiver. You want at least two, if not three, good wide receivers. With that being said, pretty deep wide receiver class. And I think they can actually get one of these guys that we were just talking about, like a Rondell Moore type of guy, maybe even in the second round. So uh, I think they're going to wait and they're going to, they are going to draft a wide out, but I just think it's going to be in the second round. And they're going to use this number 29 pick to draft Christian Barmore defensive tackle. They need some help on the D line. They were, you know, really good. I think it was two years ago with the Smith brothers. Um, it's evading me, which one had the drop off, whether it was Zadarius or the era. I know one of them didn't have as good of a season as he did. You know, recently their pass rush took a bit of a step back. Barmore is definitely a force in the middle that should help to alleviate some of the pressure on those guys. And I also know that, um, that I think Greg Russo, the guy who I have going to the Saints at 24, this could be a potential flip-flop of how things go in my mock. If the Saints end up taking Barmore at 24 instead of Russo, watch Russo as the potential guy here for the Packers at 29 because he's obviously a huge project that could, you know, that could be a lottery for a team like the Packers to get a generational guy, six, seven, that can help rush the passer and ease some of the pressure off of the Smiths and, uh, you know, the other guys that they have there in, in the Green Bay helping out on D. So I think Barmore makes sense. I think you could watch out for some of the other edge guys like an Ojolari or a Rousseau, as I just mentioned, but I'm going to stick with Barmore. Um, yeah, I don't think, I, I don't think they go, uh, D-line here. I, I mean, they have K. 
Kenny Clark in the middle already, who's an absolute stud pro bowler, multi-time pro bowler. And then they have both Smith brothers locked up on a multi-year deals. I mean, it was only their second year here this season. And like, they did fairly well. Like they obviously didn't have the season they had the, before, but they still were good players. I, I think they, they, if they're one of the receivers they like is there, like if Tony is there, they should run the card up because that would be such a great fit off to Devonte Adams. But, um, Another player I could see going here would be Landon Dickerson. Obviously, they lost uh, their center to the Chargers. Uh, blanking, uh, um, blanking on his name right now, but that was, uh, Dickerson could be an option here. They could go a receiver here. Um, yeah, I just I, I can't see D line being a big need for them at this point in time. I mean, Kenny Clark is what two years removed from Pro Bowl season. He was yeah, last year. I had to I had to check myself there because I was forgetting which Smith brother was the one who had an off year. So Zadarius Smith had back to back great seasons. He had like thirteen and a half sacks, followed by twelve and a half sacks this most recent season. Those are both very good, very great years, honestly. Anything more than ten sacks for a pass rusher, I'd say great season. So thirteen and a half, twelve and a half, totally checks the box. Uh, checks the box there. It was Preston Smith. Preston Smith went from twelve sacks last season to four sacks. That like. You know, as much as I like the Smith brothers, and I think it's awesome that they're playing on the same team, like, that is a significant drop-off. That is, like, you know, you're cutting your... They're not, they're not actually brothers. Oh, are they not brothers? I was going to say, I don't think they're brothers. <laughs> that's even funnier that I said that. But um, beside that point, because that obviously that's a blunder, but, uh, you know, that's a 66% decline in production to get to get all mathy on you. So, uh, you know, as much as I think that, um, you know, that... They have more to play or more to prove being on uh, longer term contracts. I definitely think that getting like an interior guy to go alongside a guy like Kenny Clark would, I don't think it would, uh, it would hurt. They have Damon Harrison too, right? Damon Harrison? Yeah, they have him. Oh, they signed Snacks? Yeah. Do they How still long? have Snacks? Maybe they do. I don't know. Oh, they signed them. Ty, I, I don't know if it's that Wikipedia hasn't updated their stuff, but according to Wikipedia, he's a free agent. Uh, I was on the Packers website. Either way, he's a, different he's a little past his prime, and, and he's, a little, yeah. he's a little overweight. <laughs> yeah, 32. Your points were totally accurate, though. Like, I agree, Kenny Clark's probably one of the best guys on their front seven. And then both of the Smiths are great players, even though Preston had a bit of a step back. But I don't think, uh, I think, you know, that would, in my opinion, speak more to their desire to go toward D-tackle than edge. Like, I think that kind of speaks to why they would take like a Barmore over an Ojolari, because Barmore could help free up some of the double teams on the guy like Kenny Clark in the middle and give guys like Smith and Smith on the outsides, you know, a bit more one-on-ones to you know, hopefully get back to their previous, or for at least Preston, get back to his previous sack production. I do agree that the most glaring hole on the roster is probably wide receiver, but I think they can address it on the later rounds. We'll have to see how it plays out. Tony would be a good fit, though. I agree with that. I mean, at the end of the day, it is the Packers. So, like, we have no idea who they're going to pick because it's the Packers. Yeah. Um, I think it should probably go receiver. probably won't. Um, I think another... Uh, position to look at would be corner. I know they re-signed Kevin King, but like we saw what Kevin King did in the NFC Championship game. That guy, yeah. that guy just isn't it. So um, 
I could see them looking for another young corner to put beside um Jair. Jair, yeah. Yeah, and like at the end of the rounds here, like I was trying my best to, you know, you obviously want to look at the team needs when you're doing mock drafts, but I was trying to stick as close to BPA as possible at the end here because it just doesn't feel right that a guy like, you know, Barmore and Ojolari and even Rousseau, like guys like that, like Rousseau, like, you know, even though 24, some people might see it as high. You know, I know if you told people back in 2019 you could get Rousseau at 24, they'd be like, the guy that just got 15 and a half sacks? Like, what are you talking about? So yeah. there's, um, there's de- it definitely, you know, there's things that are kind of influencing draft stock. And it ultimately just comes down to what that one team thinks, right? Because, you know, the Saints at 24 think Rousseau's a top 15 guy. I'm sure they're not going to hesitate to get him at 24. But, you know, if they're of the opposite opinion and think he's more of a second round guy, then, you know, they probably won't go that direction. They might go, uh, you know, in a different in a different direction. But that brings one, up this year. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, guys, just one more thing. One more thing. One thing I could see the Packers doing is, like, say they think those receivers will be there. They like a receiver, but they think of them getting lighter. Is they can trade back into that early to mid second round because there's going to be teams that like the teams like to trade up to that late first round so they get those players on those fifth year options, right? Because basically another year on the rookie contract to try out, if you will. So they can even trade back like 10, 20 spots and maybe get a guy like Marshall or Elijah Moore, or Rondale Moore, or something like that. You saying that just pops in my mind. I have to get this on the record. If that, if you want to look for a trade back, Packers definitely could trade back. And if someone's going to trade up, I'm not sure what team it's going to be, but this would be the Najee Harris spot in my mind. Like if Najee Harris is going in the first round, it's going to be right around the end of the first round. One of these teams, whether it be like 29 Packers or even like 32 bucks, like that could so be like a Najee Harris type of area. And I don't think that's what the Bucks are going to do, but that's just like the range of picks where if you want to get that fifth year, so you don't need to, you know, pay market value on the you know after four years for the running back you get the extra five and i'm sure i don't need to go on about this but running backs have the the shortest time frame or i guess you could say a window for capitalization in terms of their playing lengths like so rarely do you get proper value on the second contract that a running back gets so to get you an extra year on the first contract would give whatever team drafts that running back the flexibility to I guess, maximize their use out of that running back through the five years that you have them and then make that decision whether or not you want to allocate serious money to giving them a second contract or let them test the market. That brings us here to the uh, 30, 30, the Bills. So we're in our last three picks. No trades left in my mock, although definitely possibilities here for teams to move up and get a running back or get someone like that. I'll leave it as it is. The Bills could definitely use pass rush. I think they're going to be really happy that some of these edge guys slid this far because that's probably one of the Bills' most glaring needs with a really well-put-together offense. Aside from running back, which they've already taken some attempts to improve, drafting Zach Moss last year and trying to let him bat it out with Singletary, I think they might wait a little bit to add another running back to the mix. And if they do add running back, it'll probably be a bit later on. I think this is a great time to go and get Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia, Ty's guy, edge rusher. I think he could go higher than this based off of what I'm hearing, just based off of how the cards were dealt in my mock draft here. He ends up sliding to the Bills. I've seen Jason Owe as a guy that's been mocked to the Bills due to his athleticism, but personally, I just like Ojolari as a prospect more. I'm more impressed with his tape, and it really comes down to that. Jason Owe had one of the best pro days from an edge rusher that I've ever seen. 
So if I'm going to let pro-day bias impact my shit, then I probably would have put Owe here at 30. But after going back to the film, and as I alluded to when we were talking about Quiddy Pay earlier, I think Jason Owe had zero sacks this past season. And I'd have to look at what he had in 2019. But to be an edge rusher and only get zero sacks, I know he had pressures and he had, I was doing some PFF data collection stuff and I, I saw he had a lot of uh, a lot of run stops, first contact when he was blocked, things like that. Like he's making an impact from the pass rushing position. But you do want to see sacks from your edge rushers, right? So I think ultimately they go Ojolari. He's probably more pro-ready of the two, based off of what I've seen at least on tape. And they're going to be happy with him. I think Aziz is a good pick there. Yeah. Like I, I think I think the two positions, as you alluded to, that they're going to be looking at are running back and edge. And I think if they, in your mock so far, I think they'd have their choice of any running back in the draft. So I think that's definitely something they look into. But I do agree that they do end up going edge in this position. Um, I don't like how far you have Ojolari going in this draft as a George fan. I mean, it's pretty disrespectful, if you ask me. Um, but once again, um, he, he I don't know how he'd fit in the Bills scheme. He'd definitely have to put on some, some weight to play in the Bills scheme because he is a 3-4 guy. And Bills run a 4-3, so he'd definitely have to bulk up. And then we see, does the athleticism and his bend and all that, just does that transition with the weight he would have to put on? Uh, that's why I'd love to see him to go to a team that runs a 3-4, like the, the Jets or something like that. But I think he is the best edge left on the board. So if they see him fitting into their scheme, I think they definitely have to take him there. And I think if the Jets go edge, that's a great fit. For, uh, for Ojolari and for the Jets. Like, we talked about that. I don't want to go back and talk. We already, I think... Uh, yeah, I think we mentioned it. Yeah, and, and I mentioned Rousseau as a possibility, but in terms of fit, the fit schematically, I've seen Ojolari as a guy that's been heavily mocked there, and I think it would make sense. So his ceiling's definitely up around that 23 pick where, uh, where mm. the Jets are picking. But as I said, just based off of how things fall here, it was tough to find a spot for him to go earlier than this. I hate to do three like that. Sherm, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Ojolari before I move on here. I was just gonna say it would be uh it would be some great value at the, at this point, obviously, for the Bills. Yeah. Um, but like sure. like you guys alluded to, I could I could see them looking at ECN or Harris. Um I think that would instantly make them even better, although I'm sure we all consider them a Super Bowl contender at this point. Um, but like you guys said, they've kind of taken shots third, fourth round with Zach Moss, Devin Singletary in the past couple of years. You don't really want to take a first round running back after putting that kind of draft capital into guys. So we'll see. Yeah. And, uh, and that brings us to the Super Bowl contenders here, the, uh, the champion bucks and, uh, the 31st pick, which I'm about to do next, the, uh, my rival Kansas city chiefs and, uh, to be honest, when I looked at both of these picks, the Chiefs and the Bucks, a need that came to mind immediately was cornerback. But if I'm just going to give my honest opinion, no knock to any of the guys uh, currently available on the board, I just don't think that they're first-round guys. I think they're more second-round guys. If you want to say early second, I'm okay with that. I just don't see them as end-of-the-first guys. Even Asante Samuel Jr., I see him as more of a top-of-the-second type of guy. So with the Chiefs, you know, pretty great team, obviously. Hard to say anything negative about them. They don't have too many needs, so they're one of those teams where it's easy to pick best player available. I think they'll fall in love with the with the athleticism and skill set that Jason Oweb put on to, I guess, put on to the national spotlight when he had his pro day recently, running a, uh, I think it was what, mm-hmm. four three eight, 
I mean, four three eight is an edge, right? That's unbelievable. So to have a guy like that come into Kansas City and you know, yeah, tied to the bunny years because it's four three eight, but it's pro day four three eight, not combine four three eight. But to that point, still he's a obviously has the tools, doesn't have the production, and that's why he slides to thirty one in my mock. He's one of those guys that's kind of being projected all over the place. I penciled him in here at 31 to the Chiefs. And, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but a lot of first-round picks don't end up hitting, right? I don't want to throw a number 30-something, 40-something. I don't know. A lot of them don't end up getting second contracts. So inevitably, some of these guys aren't going to work out. And Jason Owe is one of those guys where I wouldn't be shocked either way. Because it's like he doesn't work out, and you're like, oh, he had zero sacks in his 2020 season before he declared for the draft. Like, you could have seen that coming, but then it's also like, oh, he ran to 4-3-8. He develops into this sweet edge rusher. Like, you should have seen that coming, right? So it goes both ways. You have to get him into the right system to develop his skill set, and he's going to go into an immediate contender that's going to be in the playoffs for like five to ten years. So it's a really good situation to be in, and I think it's a good pick for the Chiefs. So Jason Owe, edge out of Penn State, 31 to the Chiefs. Yeah. I think that's a great pick by the Chiefs. Like, as you mentioned, they don't really have too many needs. So they're, and they're also a team that's kind of in a position where they can take risks like that by taking a player like that. And if he doesn't pan out, it's not like it's going to be like too detrimental to their franchise. And if he does work out, they have a, a stud edge on a rookie contract. Uh, I definitely think we'll take a look at the corners at the corners there. Sante Samuel, a guy you mentioned, he's an interesting... I mean, he has the, the Andy Reid connection, too. His father played under Andy Reid for many years in Philly. So there's connection there. Um, I, I'm pretty high on Sanjay Samuel, so I could see him going here, but away is also like a great pick that makes a lot of sense for the Chiefs. Yeah, one guy to watch out for who I don't think is going to go first round, but I'm definitely targeting him at number 40 with the, with the Broncos pick, hoping that we might be able to get our hands on him. Ifitu Melifonwu, cornerback. He is uh, cornerback, yeah. Athletic specimen. This guy is huge, and yeah. I totally see the upside with him because he's actually a monster. And he's one of those guys where he's also kind of all over the board because he didn't really have the production in college football that you would hope for some of these top corners, which is why, you know, guys like Asante Samuel, even if we want to talk like Greg Newsom, that's why those guys are kind of slotted in. But if you're going mm. on like raw ability and like the potential to develop a prospect, Ifitu Melifonwu is like, you drool over a guy like that, like a 6'3 corner or something like that. Like he's massive. And I don't know if he's going to go end of the first if he were to go end of the first it would be to a, a team like the chiefs at 31 or the bucks at 32 i don't think he will but like watch out for that i guess even with like the bucks need corners too that was a their weak spot on defense if i had to pick one so uh that's a possibility i'll move into the bucks here i was thinking about one, one thing I, I just add one more thing i think another position you have to look at for the chiefs is o-line i mean they were trying to be very active in the o-line market this offseason it didn't really work out for them like they were trying in on Trent Williams, they didn't get him. Um, that's something I could see if they have a guy slip there, they would snatch him up. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It, it just comes down to grades, I guess, right? Because the way I see it, especially with Dickerson off the board, I don't see any more first round guys with the no. O. But if the Chiefs do, then they need an O line, and that's for sure. So uh, that would any, that might be a trade back spot too, right, Ty? Like if someone wants to trade up to thirty one, get a running back, maybe the Chiefs move five to ten spots back and get their offensive lineman. That could definitely be a possibility. So there's definitely a couple trade back candidates here. Packers 29, Chiefs 31, depending on who they want to address. It leads us to the last pick in my mock draft. 
Probably just a BPA pick, honestly. Ty alluded to him earlier when we were talking about the Browns taking Jamin Davis. I think the Bucks are going to go and add another linebacker in Zayvon Collins, even though they're really stacked at linebacker. Like, they have great linebackers. They have Levante David. They have I, – I, I don't even need to go off the list because they're really stacked. Their whole front seven is stacked. Uh, I, as I said, the only real need on the defense was corner, but I don't really think any of the corners are worth taking over Zayvon Collins, especially considering they can probably get a pretty good corner in round two. So I think they'll take a linebacker here in Collins. Levante David, despite getting his new deal, I think only got two years. So he's going to have an opportunity to take over in a more meaningful role soon. And it's a great situation to learn under, especially as a team that's trying to run it back with a uh, with a championship-level defense and offense. He's going to get into a situation where his linebacker group is some of the highest-caliber players in the entire league. And that's exactly the type of situation you want to draft a good prospect into to bring up, I guess, bring out the fullest of their potential. So Zayvon Collins is really entering a, a really a perfect situation if he can walk himself into this uh, Bucks linebacker room. Yeah, I think Bucks have like uh, they don't really have any needs. I, like even their corner corner grouping isn't really like they got uh, uh, Carlton Davis. Is that his name? Yeah, Carlton Davis. Yeah, and yeah, like they they they're not that weak at any position, so they kind of have the luxury of just taking the best player available here. And whether that be Zayvon Collins or say a guy like um, I don't know, just like anybody really, like any position they could use and then they'll have a young like especially David Collins be a good pick Levante David is getting pretty old and then they have that young duo they'd have a young core of uh, Devin White and David Collins and that sounds really good for the future um I I think I could also see this as, as, as we alluded to like a trade back spot for a team looking to get in that like as you saw with Lamar Jackson a team trading up to that number 32 pick to get that fifth year option on a guy and say a team has fallen in love with a guy like Sam Mills or Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond I mean look out who knows I don't see six quarterbacks going in this first round, but like, I mean, we've seen crazier things happen. I don't see the Packers taking Jordan Love last year either, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, they don't really have that many needs, like you guys said, the Bucks, obviously. Um, I don't think they've signed, re-signed Fournette. I could be wrong about that. So They, we, they, did, they did. They did. They did sign him. Oh. Antonio Brown's like the one guy left they haven't re-signed. Okay, fair enough. So, so, yeah, I was going to say it would be interesting if they got a guy like ETN or Harris because that would just make the offense, like, absolutely ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. But if they re-sign Fournette, they probably wouldn't do that because they still have uh, – what's his name? Ronald Jones. Yeah. Yeah. When I was one, one position I could see oh. – oh, sorry. One position I could see them going here, though, is receiver. Like, if they like – like, you have Marshall still on the board? Um, Godwin, I believe, is only on the franchise tag. He didn't sign long term, and they might not have the money to pay him next year. Antonio Brown, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be back, but that leaves next year. You're going to have Mike Evans, and then uh, I like Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson, yeah, but if they, like if they can get a guy like Terrence Marshall at 32, and yeah. then they can let Godwin walk next year, pay some of their other guys, it could be a good pick. Don't see it happening, but it could be a good pick. I'm laughing at how I was, I was mentioning the linebackers there, and it's so funny. I mentioned Levante David before Devin White. Obviously, Levante David's the left, <laughs> but like Devin White's the foundation piece there, obviously. So Levante David, two years left on the deal, and he's probably gone after that. 
So, you know, Zayvon Collins would be the successor to him. But there's no question yeah. that White's going to be his running mate for the, you know, 10 years, if not more, playing that, you know, that opposite middle linebacker position in their 3-4 defense. So, like, to have, you know, right now, Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, and Jason Pierre-Paul is the linebacker for, and then adding David Collins in as the successor to Levante David, that should keep their pass rush dominant for at least four years, I'd say, until you're going to have to find a JPP replacement. And that won't be, you know, you have a lot of time to address that. So that, that brings it to a close. Honestly, we, uh, we went on for a while. I know I've been itching to talk about this shit. So I'm not surprised that we spent this long talking about it, but I had a ton of fun doing it. We'll be back in a few days with the next mock. I'm not sure between the two of you who wants to go first, but that'll be the mock 2.0 that we do. If one of you wants to take the dibs and go first, I'm cool with that. But 2.4. Mock 2.4. <laughs> I'm still cooking up 1.0, so we'll see. I uh, I just have one note here. We were talking about Chiefs at 31, and I'd be foolish to not mention this because we're talking about like Jason Owe, how it could go both ways. Like you get you hit on him and say, like, oh, you should have seen that coming, or he flops, you should have seen that coming. He only started playing football in 2016. I always get fascinated by those stories because like, how can that? How is that possible, right? Like, how can the guy have just started playing in 2016? when he has four years of playing the game, like not like just playing at college, like literally is just learning fundamentals in terms of his like pass rush skills. So when you hear that his like production isn't there in terms of his sacks, that kind of sheds a little light on why that's the case in my opinion, because a lot of the stuff is like polishing your moves and like having like, you know, you you talk, you hear Von Miller talk about his pass rush summit and how they're all teaching each other their techniques to get, you know, essentially to get sacks. And it does kind of open uh, open my eyes a little bit. Like, okay, like, maybe that's why, like, he is, in, uh, he is like, jumping off the tape in terms of his athleticism and getting to the spots and being a force in the run. But the reason, I guess, the production in terms of his pass rush isn't quite there is probably because he's still trying to work out the, you know, the, I guess, fine-tune the kinks a little bit with his game. And he'll need experience to do that, so... I'm sure a system like Kansas City will help him do that because he'll get a ton of experience getting those extra playoff games. So let's end it on that. Had a lot of fun, fellas. Thank you for doing it. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And, good uh, mock. Good mock. Draft eight days away. If anyone made it this far, thank you. And uh, we'll be back in a couple. Take care, everyone.